quite no. No, it, it is just Shichoku. I think it's just tasting now because I think in Japan it's not approved yet, similar to US. I think US have companies, but it's not approved for mass mass uh, consumption yet, right? They are still going through some regulatory approval. Apparently, it's, yeah. They kind of, it's I, like an emergency thing. They're trying to push it through without proper testing. Yeah, are there any clinical studies? Are they, you know, regulating uh, the blood, like, for inflammation or any responses, allergic reactions, so on and so forth? Or just dishing it out to people? And you know who, the, you know who the biggest investor in lab-grown meat is, Cheryl, don't you? Monsanto? Bill Gates. Gates. Bill Gates. Bill know. Gates. Okay, I, you know what? I, I wasn't supposed to be in that event. My, my friend just wanted me to come along. So it's only 15, 15 minutes away from my home. So I just, okay, I go. I didn't know what to expect, but... Okay, now my 24 hours. So what is the basic about, uh... structure that they are using for this lab-created stuff? Sorry, your question, Aaron? What are the basic structure, like chemicals that they are using for this? I have uh, no blood. idea. It, everything is done purely in Japanese and I was half asleep. I just sit down there and stare and I know a few comments that they make about Singapore. I just, uh, yeah, I just woke up a bit and I continued to. No, I was there but not there. Top okay, le- let's it, do this. Well, the top headline is that Cheryl ate some plants, everybody. Did you see the oh no, the good health that's going to come. Big salad got a, the best the best of Cheryl. The magic mushrooms from Amsterdam. Chemicals. Basically, she ate chemicals. I don't know. Did you guys see the Beyond Meat? Yeah, Beyond Meat. In innocent no, meat, that... just meat or whatever. I don't know. Tyler, you have a friend's company who's working on it too, right? Um. Yeah. The what is it called? Uh, he His is called uh, Memphis Meats. Yeah, whatever they, whatever it is, they will not call themselves fake meat. Yeah. Now they've changed their name to Upside Foods. Uh, Tyler, a yes. question regarding one of the headlines we had yesterday regarding these, uh, let's call them, compromised uh, point of sales. How has this Pax. gone for that? Pax has the- has tanked. It's down like fifty percent. Oh, I do. I haven't looked in the last recently. So let's see. Pax, POS, uh, data security prompts World Pay to switch to POS devices from Pax. So World Pay is getting off of Pax. FBI raids Chinese Pax terminal maker it was one hour ago, but that's all, that's the headline from yesterday. What's their ticker? Pax Technology is the company. So. Pax Technology ticker is Pax. Okay, uh, it's Hong Kong on the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, and it's down same forty three percent. I thought I should ask Mr. Steve Decline what what happened when stocks go that way. <laughs> it was it was previously at trading at like nine and a half Hong Kong dollars, and now it's down to five and a half Hong Kong dollars. So it's dropped about fifty, just about fifty percent. But it's not as of today. Um, it it didn't really, you know, it took a fifty percent immediate dive, and that's about it. Okay, so um, the top headline is from the New York Times. 
it says that Facebook tells its employees to preserve internal documents and communications related to its business since 2016 as governments and legislative bodies like the FTC are beginning their inquiries because of the uh, the Senate uh, subcommittee said to do so. So they're doing so to they're really checking to see if um, if they violated a, a previous uh, settlement here. The article says Facebook has told employees to preserve internal documents and communication since 2016 that pertain to its business because governments and legislative bodies have started inquiries into its operations, according to a company email sent to everybody in the whole company Tuesday night. The move known as a legal hold follows intense media, legal and regulatory scrutiny over the social networks harms. Social lawmakers and the public are up in arms after Francis Hagen. No, New York Times, we're not. We're not at all. We're, nobody's up in arms. And you shouldn't be saying that, Mike Isaac and Ryan Mack. Lawmakers and the public are up in arms. What? That, not, that's tabloidism. Where? Where is the evidence that people are up in arms? I, the only up in arms I'm seeing is against you for saying stupid shit like that. Lawmakers and the public are up in arms after Francis Hagen, a former F Facebook employee turned whistleblower, provided thousands of internal documents to lawmakers and the media, showing how much the company knew about some of its ill effects, such as spreading misinformation. Yeah, I think, well, the New York Times is an expert on that topic and exacerbating body image issues in some teenagers. Those files, uh, as you probably aware, we are currently the focus of an... Oh, anyway. So, they, yeah, there's not much more to it other than that. So they sent out a big, um, a big email to everybody because they said, yeah, the, they're going to be wanting to you know, check a whole bunch of documents. So don't be deleting any documents because that would look a little suspicious. Okay. Next. Oh, by the way, speaking of Facebook, uh, their big annual AR VR event starts in three hours from right now, just less than three hours. JT, are you excited or what? I definitely am curious what they're going to change their name to and their roadmap for the metaverse and if we're going to get a new VR headset that's been leaked out in a couple of days. Uh, yeah, the, in, right. In the past 48 hours, there was a leak that we can expect to see the Facebook Oculus Pro, which what do we imagine that would what would be the difference with the current Oculus and uh, and the Pro? I would just say like more memory and probably uh, just based on the on the leaks and the visual design, it, it looks more sleeker and less weight. But uh, other than that, I don't see anything else. Um, probably just really leveraging the pass through uh, mixed reality is probably something that's going to be huge with them. Uh, so can't can't really speculate much more than that. But that's just based on the information they provided thus far. Mm hmm. So there's a headline from New York Magazine that just came out about Facebook that says, while whistleblowing and accountability journalism are used... Oh, is that what it's called? Accountability journalism. Ah, 
We're doing accountability journalism. Right. How about transparency journalism where you actually declare competing interests? How about we are on a jihad against the infidels? Is, is I, I, <laughs> Accountability journalism. So, so the headline says, while whistleblowing and accountability journalism are useful, only sweeping political changes can limit Facebook's power, which has proven enduring. Facebook's power has proven to be very enduring, and only sweeping political changes can limit Facebook's power, essentially admitting that the whistleblowing and their journalism is essentially having no impact whatsoever. Yet, the New York Times, your friends across the street there from the New York Magazine, just wrote minutes ago that people are up in arms. Right. Okay, so the next big article is from The Verge. It says that Samsung has done their Q3 report and didn't do so hot. Um, so the, the stock has gone down a bit as a result of that. They they got to do some new stuff. I mean, they, they got to make a VR headset or something. I mean... They're getting their they're getting they're getting their butt kicked on the phones by Xiaomi. What do you do if you're Samsung at this point? Samsung has been for the past twenty years kicking a lot of ass, actually, and they did manage to come, you know, come up real strong, real fast, and to be the top smartphone maker in the world. But now they've lost that. You, you do what they're doubling down on, which is five G networking gear and. Semiconductors, they're killing it in both. They are. There. You're right. You're well done, Evan. Uh, that's correct. They are going to go huge into semiconductors. That's yep. always kind of been their lane, though. You know, before yep. TSMC, they were making all the chips. Yep. Yep. Okay. Next up is from Axios. It says that GitHub says that as much of thirty percent of new code in GitHub is written with its AI tool called Copilot. That's a lot of code being written by an AI. 30% of the code in GitHub, that's a lot. GitHub is basically all the code. Basically, all the developers are putting their code in GitHub. And GitHub saying 30% is now from their own AI system tool called Copilot. And that half of the users, half of the developers that have tried using their AI tool, Copilot, are, are still using it or keep using it. The open source software developer GitHub says as much as 30% of newly written code on its network is being done with the help of the company's AI programming tool, Copilot. And that is very good news for non-developers in the room. It's even good news for developers. It's very good news for startups. It's good news for tech and everything. Here's why. Because if apps can be written faster, that means they can be written much cheaper. And potentially better and faster and cheaper. And what's amazing about this idea is... This GitHub uh, Copilot thing is truly genius because GitHub is a massive repository of code. And basically, you can think of building an app similar to building a house or a building. And you can think of all, all the different little th steps that go into building a house. 
there's a thousands, hundred thousand different little things. Like, oh, I see you're reaching over for a nail. I'll bet you want to put that nail right there and hammer it. Let me do that for you. How many times do you want to do that? Do you want to go the whole way around this, you know, big thing? Okay, let me do that for you. Go, go ahead and start the next thing. Oh, are you doing this? And it can, based on the huge repository of code that it has, it can predict what you as a coder are likely to do next. And say, oh, I see what you're doing. You're going to do this. Oh, let me do that. Oh, you're, now you're doing this. I bet I know what you're going to do next. You're probably going to look search for this piece of code next in the in the whole repository. Because by the way, now that GitHub has all the code, it, a lot of what you know developing apps these days is about searching for pieces of code that you want to insert into your big project, and that shortens itself the time that's needed to do stuff. So you go find, a, you, you, know, you you want something, for example, to make, uh, what's a really interesting little simple example for lay people? Uh, you want Please. to change all the text on your website. This is a really terrible example because that's an HTML tag, but um, a, what, what, a little JavaScript. You want to make, um, what's a really simple JavaScript? Like a classic piece of JavaScript everyone uses. You want to make, I don't know. Everything's ended up in libraries and in the next generation of code. So that's the challenge is people write code and then it becomes part of a library at some point. So. Right. And people are taking pages and paragraphs and sentences out of other people's books in, in this huge library of code. And the point is the AI can say, oh, I, I think I know what you're going to do next. Are you going to look for this next? Here it is right here. It's like having a you know an incredibly smart assistant next to you because it sees what the other developers did in in a sort of sequence. And they know the process of what you're doing. And they say, oh, what, the app you're building is very, very similar to these uh, thousands of other apps that other people already built. And I bet you're going to want to do this next and bet you're wanting to do that next. So that, that those AIs... Uh, GoPilot is going to get smarter and smarter and smarter, which will make it people go faster and faster and faster and make it cheaper and cheaper and cheaper to write apps and easier and easier and easier so that uh, it'll become more and more automated. And that's fantastic. I, yes. I brought, yeah, I brought up a question in the morning session regarding this and how maintainable is the code that the AI is writing? Is it machine gibberish, which gives that there's no way to actually maintain the code uh, over time? Because the thing is, as you say, it gets smarter and smarter. Will it understand its own old code? Is a really interesting question. If you load in one year from now something you write with, with Copilot today, and you load it in one year, will it understand? Uh, begun became so much smarter and has so many more things to hook it up. Will it understand that or will it throw it away and say, you need to rewrite this from the bottom up? We can't reuse this. So Satya Nadella, the CEO of Microsoft, took to Twitter about this to say that the future of development is cloud native and infused with AI, which is exactly this, this GitHub Copilot. He says, at GitHub Universe, we're introducing new capabilities to help developers build the next generation of software. Did Microsoft buy GitHub? Yeah, you missed it. Yes. Ah, oh, shit. That's <laughs> why he's doing it. 
I mean, there, there's a lot of developers in the open source world who are very wary of ownership. And they have this deal with GPT-3, too. Yeah, so about, um, I think it was around 2017-ish, Microsoft bought GitHub for roughly $7.5 or $8 billion. And um, if you go onto YouTube, um, Bloomberg did a really good quick take. Just search in the event of an apocalypse open here. So I store most of my code on GitHub, um, at least not the proprietary, too much proprietary stuff. And uh, for folks who aren't aware, um, there's a region, a territory in the world called Svalbard. Svalbard is the only place on Earth that's off of you know, Greenland and Iceland. It's literally just a chunk of ice floating in the ocean. This is where the seed belt is. And also, right after Microsoft bought GitHub, um, they started storing all the world's uh, open source code there, uh, software on like film reels. I highly, highly suggest uh, you go onto YouTube and uh, search it. If you can't find it, just, just ping me on Clubhouse or one of my social okay. medias. Um, and uh, one, one more thing I'd like to add is that. Um, are you, Anthony, are you talking on a payphone? I'm, I'm driving right now. To okay. Office. Go ahead. Is it not clear? It's clear you you sound like a, a, a like an eight bit robot. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it's probably because of my I don't know the mics on my BMW or something. I don't know, uh, but yeah. So uh, I, I actually even if you Google my name and okay. come across my GitHub profile, um, I have I have a badge that says I'm an Arctic code contributor. So my code is actually stored in Svalbard. And that's the only place on Earth where no nuclear weapons are pointed to, right? So every nuclear weapon has a source and target destination. This is the only place on Earth that all the international organizations and countries have signed a treaty that they won't blow up that part of the world specifically. Okay. So nuclear our code will be safe. That's good yes. news. Yep. The code and cockroaches. But GitHub, GitHub is also a great social network, as I think he was saying. I mean, it's increasingly where, like, developers network. It's kind of the LinkedIn for developers. Uh -huh. Oh, it's a contribution network, too. Okay, so the next article is that Apple supports documents. Uh, Apple support documents say that the 14 and 16-inch MacBook Pro users can turn on scale to fit below built-in camera to avoid notch app compatibility issues. Okay. I guess they're responding to everybody who is making TikTok videos <laughs> uh, saying how stupid the notch is. It says, good news for notch haters. If you've got an app or apps with menus that collide with the notch, get just get info on the app and enable scale to fit below built-in camera. While the app is running, your display is scaled. Bada boom, bada bing. There you go. You can stop ranting and raving on your TikTok videos now. The next one is Ben Thompson, who has a tech blog called Stratechery, wrote a blog post saying that the Sequoia Fund announcement shows Sequoia Capital wants to invest and keep long-term positions in SaaS companies with proven business models. Yep. Um... For those who missed that headline, Sequoia, who's one of the world's greatest uh, tech in VC funds, 
um, came up with a new structure where they're going to take the 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 earnings of you know those of their investments out of their multiple funds, kind of like an octopus with multiple legs. They have multiple funds, and they're going to take the winnings from each of those funds and throw it back into the center, in back into the pot in the center, which then creates more arms of the octopus, so to speak, so that the funds will con continuously have, they'll become kind of ongoing funds, uh, rolling or evergreen funds. Um, so it's very cool. Next up, uh, Global Foundries raises two hundred two point six billion in an IPO, selling shares for forty seven, valuing the company at twenty five billion. Twenty five billion. Uh, the it's the third biggest U.S. listing this year, behind Coupang and Didi. Chipmakers share price at top of yep. Makes sense. The semiconductors are very big in twenty twenty one, and the next one is from the Wall Street Journal. It says, a look at the impact of Apple's uh, ATT, which was their privacy policy, on Google and Facebook. So now the Wall Street Journal is doing a deep dive on just how impactful has Apple been when they changed their privacy policy to let users. This came out in iOS 14.5, where users, once they up upgraded their devices, their operating systems, they were greeted with a, an option to not let Facebook and Google and others kind of have their have their cookie uh, and be able to track them as they used to. And it turns out that about 25% of people said, I don't want to be followed anymore. And that is now this article from the Wall Street Journal is doing a look at how that has impacted Google and Apple. New iPhone privacy standards rocked digital advertising, raising some boats and lowering others. Apple's recent privacy crackdown has affected the largest players in online advertising very differently. Recently, recent quarterly results show, underscoring the strengths and weaknesses of each tech giant's ad business, uh, Google, the world's largest digital ad company by revenue, tallied its highest sales growth in more than a decade in the third quarter, while Facebook and Snapchat came up short of expectations and blamed Apple's privacy rules for the slowdown. Apple in April introduced a change to its privacy policy that requires apps to, to ask users if they want to be tracked. According to mobile app Analytics provider Flurry, users agreed to be tracked only 16% of the time, vastly diminishing apps' ability to gather data advertisers need to serve ads to specific categories of users. With less data, with less data, targeted ads from platforms like Facebook and Snapchat, whose ad business rely on tracking users' activity around other apps and websites in addition to their own, are a lot less precise than they once were. It says a dozen immersed e-commerce companies interviewed by the Wall Street Journal said they now have to spend a lot more money on these ads to get the same number of sales from them that they could expect before the new feature was rolled out. They also can't get enough data to know how effective these ads are at driving purchases. Many have reduced their ad spending on targeted ad platforms in July. In a July poll of 1,100 e-commerce store owners, 62% said they had decreased their Facebook ad spending since the iOS upgrade. As a result of the data drought, 
Many brands have shifted their ad spending to Google because its flagship search ad business relies on customer intent. Users' search terms immediately reveal what they are interested in rather than data collected from app and web tracking. Here's the quote. I do think Google in the short term here will gain some of the performance dollars flowing out of some of these other platforms, says Mark Wagman, managing director at ad consulting firm MediaLink. The red hot digital ad market has accelerated this year with global spending on track to increase 26%. Google's data was superior to Facebook's for the purposes of of dealing with the changes that iOS has brought. Uh, yes, Apple, well, Facebook, Google also has a lot more data than Facebook does because they have uh, your devices. They have, uh, a browser that Facebook doesn't have. They've got Wi-Fi systems that Google doesn't have. They've got fiber optic cables. (laughs) They've got all kinds of shit. Uh, so what they were not nearly as impacted as Facebook was. Apple has said its privacy change was meant to let users decide whether to share their data and with whom. Oh, Wall Street Journal, you're writing this like it's for people who, this is just really, you're not revealing anything uh, at all here. There's far more to share than you're even sharing in this article. So we'll, we'll just move right along. So the next one's from Washington Post. It says that NYU researchers suggests Twitter's algorithms promote conservative politicians because they are more likely to be ratioed, which Twitter may count as engagement. Here we go. Well, this is, by the way, a a kind of follow-up to a previous article about three days ago where Twitter itself says, we've noticed something. Um, it seems that on Twitter, we've, we're starting to notice that in terms of political content uh, on the kind of left and right, that political content that's on the right tends to ha- be a little stickier than content on the left. And can I, can I comment on this one real quick? Sure. How much do you think this is? Because there isn't some... <clears throat> The left doesn't have a boogeyman anymore. Hmm. That in the you Trump know, era, that that the left might have been turn, stickier. Yeah, you you could have turned great any point. news channel without wall to wall coverage on Trump, and you know Trump's gonna kill your baby. Trump's gonna eat your lunch. Trump's gonna do this, and now there's nothing to focus on. So now it's Facebook is gonna do this. Twitter's gonna do that. You know, so and so said this about your kids, so we better go ban them. You know, I, I'm I'm sorry to be so you know one-sided on this, but it seems like maybe the lack of attention to political issues by the left may be the reason why there's not so much content from the left. Whereas the right is just enraged right now. You know, they're they're the topic of of everyone's ire. You know, now all the attention has moved from Trump to the people who voted for him, including me, who who's done it twice and voted for Bernie twice. So I'll just say that. Yeah, it's an interesting thought. Uh, yeah, it would be interesting to see how it was prior. Anywho, the... Yeah, go ahead. I mean, the, the Republicans are going to win the House and the Senate most likely in the next cycle. And if you look at historically, these things just come in cycles and waves, and that's just how it is in the U.S. So, Our research suggests conservative 
politicians are ratioed more often. That may explain why they're in your timeline, is the article from the Washington Post. So I will tweet that one out to the Tech News Twitter account for those who want to do the deep dive on that. And the next one is Spotify. Well, Tyler, can you get yeah. the hand raised? I think some people down the line. Sure, sure, sure. Sure, sure, sure. Here, where are we? Where are we at here? Who's down there? I see Cam. Oh, you mean in the? Oh, they don't have I their hands John, up. I, John, there we John, go. There's. I see Ken. Who else is down here? Tardy, 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 tardy for class. Who's down here? Who? Who did you say? Uh, John Cap was messaging saying. Okay, hold on, hold on. There's a lot of. Folks in the room here. Okay. Oh, Carter-san is there, but I think he's just listening. Yeah, he, he's invited. He has. Um, so, the next... Oh, shoot, I lost my important page here. Here we go. So, the next one is... Um, a look at... Oh, yeah, we did that. Crypto infrastructure company Alchemy, which wants to be the AWS for blockchains raises $250 million uh, from Andreessen Horowitz at a $3.5 billion valuation. And then next one is, it says, internal documents from far-right militia called the Oath Keepers with details on 25,000 members shows Facebook was the most common way of discovering the group. It says, a fight disinformation, get daily recap, da 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 Okay, yeah. I, well, here's the thing, guys. Um, Facebook has 3.5 billion users. It's the biggest app in the history of apps. It's There's half of the planet is on Facebook. That's more than there are vegans and CrossFitters and yoga practitioners and soccer moms and surfers and all of those combined. By far, by 10x. So, it's probably statistically pretty likely, being that uh, it's the main way that, you know, it's half of people are on it, and we're talking half the world has internet. So, ha half of the world who has internet, 100% of those people are on Facebook. So, uh, it's not really a surprise, you know, all of these articles that Facebook is responsible for this and for that and for this and for that and for this and for that and for that. Well, yeah, well, guess what? So are cell phones. Cell phones are also a way that people are connecting and finding, you know, and so is uh, they all happen to be food eaters. It turns out that food eaters also are, are have a high correlation with every point that you want to make about people because pretty much everybody's eating food, too. But you, you have to get that ridiculous to think of just how ubiquitous Facebook is. So pointing out how people are meeting and saying that it's Facebook, how else would you assume that they met? By like drawing chalk figures on the sidewalk and putting posters up on telephone poles to find each other? Like hosting yard oh, sales? We just post classifieds, Tyler, in the New York. Ah, oh, Craigslist. I see. You're <laughs> we're yearning for the good old days of Craigslist. Hey, I'm looking for anyone who wants to storm the Capitol. Anybody interested? Uh, meet me at the Tony's Pizza down on the boardwalk on Sunday. 
<laughs> hey, my sister met her husband on Craigslist back in the day. <laughs> hey, it turns out people are meeting on Facebook. What a shock. What a surprise. Yeah, this is how people... It's just, it blows my mind that everyone, that the journalists are on a rampage to try and, you know, attach any negative thing that has ever happened to Facebook when everything that's happening... You know, Facebook's at the center of everything because it has a hundred percent of usage. It's just, it gets it gets a little ridiculous at some point. People are just gonna people, and that's the issue. Hey Tyler, want to yes. hear a funny, real funny uh, Facebook story? So way back when Facebook first started, I don't know how they had the manpower to handle this, but I was on there friending friends of friends, and they were all pretty girls back when I was in my single days. And they actually sent me a note saying this is not a dating site <laughs> and and to stop doing what I'm doing. So that that was crazy. I mean, how they actually were able to 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 you know monitor people's people's usage like that. I think Zuck was getting jealous. That's right. Well, one one thing I'm not seeing on Facebook is the hot new trend called um Mixing toxic chemical cleaning chemicals in your toilet that could wreak havoc on your toilet and your health. The phosphine uh, gas challenge. Yeah, I don't see Island Boy too because I'm a Highland boy, <laughs> and I'm not seeing the the beat your teacher to a pulp uh, on Facebook, and I'm not seeing the milk crate challenge on Facebook. I'm not seeing the uh, what was the the other recent t- oh destroy. Destroy your school's bathrooms on Facebook. I'm not seeing any of that on Facebook. I'm seeing all that on TikTok. So, and you're getting ticked. So, um, anyways, the next one is from the Wall Street Journal. They say they have sources that Mimecast, which makes email security tools, is exploring a possible sale or investment. Mimecast went public in 2015 and is valued at $4.5 billion. Okay, next from Bloomberg, that Google, Apple, Twitter, Snapchat, Microsoft, and others form the Catalyzed Tech Coalition committing to improve DEI, which is what we have to find out. And they share demographic data and more. Oh, this could be juicy. Are they sharing data? That would be amazing. It says, from Google, I'm sorry, from Bloomberg, Google, Snapchat, and dozens of tech companies coordinate in new diversity push. New report underscores importance of sharing data and supporting K-12 through computer science education, Alphabet, Google, Twitter, Snapchat, and about a dozen other major technology companies are banding together <laughs> to excuse me to focus on improving workplace diversity. Thank you. They're banding together to focus on improving workplace diversity and strengthening the pipeline of underrepresented workers in Silicon Valley. The Catalyzed Tech Coalition, which was announced Thursday aims to hold its members accountable for improving the representation and experience of women, people of color, first-generation college graduates, and the LGBTQ community in the tech industry. 31 companies and a group of nonprofits and researchers signed on 
to the 116-page report outlining their commitments to overcoming disparities in the tech sector. To join the effort, the companies agreed to follow four main recommendations, such as recognizing diversity as a business imperative and working to improve the pipeline of young talent. They also have to consider equity concerns throughout their vast businesses, including suppliers, product design, and hiring practices. Here's the quote. I think there's been a realization in diversity, equity, and inclusion work that one company and one leader is never going to solve this, said Una King, Vice President of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Snapchat. Our group spent one year answering the question, what would it take to transform DEI outcomes in tech? The companies are trying to build on the progress made by corporate America last year in the wake of widespread outage over a police officer's murder of George Floyd. Since then, dozens of companies have pledged to hire more minorities and promote more of them into management roles. Some firms have reached out to historically black colleges and universities while others have allocated billions in support of programs to improve the lives of black people. Here's another quote. It's common in tech for people to transfer or for companies to poach talent from another firm, says Google Chief Diversity Officer Melanie Parker. So it's incredibly important to work together as a collective. The coalition was convened by a working group of experts, including representatives from Snapchat, PricewaterhouseCoopers, the Aspen Institute, the National Center for Women and Information Technology, that spent more than a year studying strategies that make companies more equitable places to work, other participants include Etsy, Microsoft, LinkedIn, Apple, Salesforce, Spotify, Uber, and others. Perhaps most notably, the companies committed to share demographic data. There we go. You buried this till you saved this for the last art, last paragraph. Perhaps most notably, the companies committed to share demographic data about their workforces with the Tech Equity Accountability Mechanism a new program under development with the Aspen Institute, which, will aim, which aims to establish industry-wide standards for reporting, workforce diversity, and share best practices on creating more equitable working environments. Okay, right, one more quote. I'm more, I'm more excited about this effort than one-off individualized attempts in the past. They are trying to change a sector, not just an organization. All righty. Next up is from uh, an open-sourced SQL database, SQL database developer called Yugabyte, raises $188 million at a $1.3 billion valuation. Apple joins Sustainable Semiconductor Technologies and Systems, a program by Belgian-based R&D organization to help reduce environmental impact of chips. Hackers steal an estimated $130 million from DeFi or DeFi. Oh, a, a DeFi platform called Cream Finance. In a flash loan attack, the company lost $37 million in February and now $29 million in August in similar attacks, and now, uh, now $130 million. Next up, Spotify says it's uh, recently become the most used podcast platform in the U.S. with 
8.2 million podcasts. That's a lot of podcasts. And that means they, they're claiming they surpassed Apple by a third party uh, research organization who, who confirms that they did. And then Google unveils Android 12L, uh, focused on tablets and foldables and Chromebooks with, um, with additional features like uh, and tweaks for big screen u- user interface layouts and a new taskbar coming in 2022. And then Sony reports uh, their quarterly earnings, which are up 13% over the year uh, to $21 billion. And its games unit operating income dropped 22% year over year, uh, which they lost to Microsoft because Microsoft's games unit kicked ass in the past year. So it looks like Xbox is killing PlayStation. The next one is from Bloomberg. It says Activision Blizzard CEO Bobby Kotick, who earned $154.6 million last year, will take a pay cut to $62,000 and forgo equity grants until diversity goals are met. Compensation included paying the CEO $154.6 million last year. That's, that's a yeah, bold well, move. Taking sixty k when you made one hundred and fifty million last year is like a pulp, <laughs> like like literally. Uh, the next sainthood. one, it's sainthood is what it is. The guy should be knighted and sainted. The next yeah, one, well, I'm, I'm sure he's got a lot of money left over from last year, guys. Come on. I don't know, man. The food's been getting expensive. You see what they're they're charging for macaroni well, cheese. See- if he's been going to Subway, then he's in trouble. He looks like he has been. I mean, he looks like he could lose a few pounds as well. Have you seen what a Gulfstream costs these days for an executive? It's brutal. It's brutal what they're what they're charging. So the next, oh, Shopify just did its uh, Q2 revenue of 1.112 billion up 46 percent year over year and gross merchandise volume of 41.8 billion up 35 percent year over year and says cumulative gmv reached 400 billion dollars in sales so what is shopify stock look like today well it's currently up 5.3 percent well done oh no that's spotify is up 5.3 shopify is up 5.1 so I have I have two of my uh, favorite companies are both up over five percent today. That's nice. So the next one is um, ClickHouse, which provides an online analytical processing database management system, raises two hundred and fifty at a two billion valuation. Chinese banking official issues a warning to cross-border online brokerages operating with only overseas licenses causing Futu and Up Fintech and others to drop. And the headline itself is not interesting. What's interesting is why and what is the bigger ramifications for Chinese banking officials issuing warnings to cross-border online brokerages operate. So that means <clears throat> um, it's a way they this is, I mean, Let's just call it what it is. So China is telling this cross-border online brokerage, which Chinese people could normally use, 
And now China's saying you have to shut down because you don't have a license to operate in mainland China, like you might in Hong Kong, but you don't in mainland China. So you must shut down because you have a lot of Chinese users who are getting their money out of China through your service. And let's just call it what it is. Like China's been doing this constantly. Uh, we've been watching this every day for months now. And there's an, um, quite an amazing, never-ending effort to plug all of the holes to stop Chinese folks from getting their money out of China. A Chinese central banker warned that online brokerages not licensed in China are acting illegally if they serve Chinese clients via the Internet, sending New York-listed shares of Futu Holdings and Up Fintech Holdings sharply lower. Here's the quote. Cross-border online brokerages are driving... Are, are driving in China without a driver's license. They're conducting illegal financial activities. And somebody said in a speech, according to transcript released on Wednesday, Futu and Up Fintech shares slumped to more than 20% in pre-market trade on Thursday. On his remarks, shares of the two firms had already tumbled since October 14, when the official People's Daily said in a, an analysis on its website that Futu and Up Fintech face regulatory risks as China's new personal data privacy law takes effect on November 1. Investors are concerned that the sector will be next in Beijing's regulatory crosshairs after China launched a flurry of crackdowns targeting sectors ranging from technology to cryptocurrency and real estate. Investors need to see whether the Chinese government will restrict domestic individuals from opening an account at an offshore bank and whether they can use this account to open a trading account with offshore brokers, uh, Jeffries said in a note. Jeffries added that many Chinese securities firms have set up their offshore subsidiaries to provide Hong Kong or U.S. trading services to domestic individuals. Exactly, as I said, and foreign brokers, including interactive brokers, also accept mainland Chinese clients. So we need to wait for more guidelines from the regulators. Yep, they are plugging the holes. Okay, next up, Hinge Health, a digital physical therapy service that uses an app and sensors, raises $400 million by Tiger and Katu at a $6.2 billion valuation, up from $3 billion in January. Not bad. Hinge Health, digital physical therapy service that uses an app and sensors. Are you seeing where this is going? Is it getting a little obvious when companies like this are raising $400 million and their valuation goes from $3 billion to $6 billion in the same year, in 10 months? Do you not see how the traditional medical industry is screwed beyond all anything they could ever hope to uh, compete with this stuff? It's just impossible. Not if the FDA can help it. Oh god. <laughs> oh god, there goes my there goes my chances. <laughs> Hinge Health. 6 6 bill, 6 billion valuation. So how many hundreds of health tech startups Actually, thousands, maybe ten thousands of startups, health startups, med tech startups, of which Chris, as of which two are on stage at the moment. <laughs> um, 
I mean, how can three? three I think. Oh, actually, no. But how can traditional non-tech uh, medical industry compete? It's, this is this is going to go quick. The next one is Dragos, which helps secure control systems for critical infrastructure races. Two hundred million. Uh, Washington Post says that according to documents. EU politicians said Facebook algorithm changes in 2019 negatively impacted politics, particularly in Poland, where many blamed Facebook for the polarization. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. It must be the AI, AI, AI's fault. Yep, the AI made me do it. The, the AI made me, you know, hate immigrants. What, what can I say? You know, next thing I know, I found myself in a protest against immigrants and, you know, on the border of Belarus. It's your fault, Facebook. You made me hate immigrants. How are you? Come, come the fuck on. Are we, are we really going to blame Facebook for everything that's happening on the planet? Can we can people not take personal responsibility for stuff? Facebook kick my cat. I, I, I just started burning cats. Facebook made me do it. Next thing I know, I'm poisoning every cat in my neighborhood. Facebook made me do it. I just clicked Facebook that. is part of the climate problem. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So the article is, in Poland politics, a civil war brewed uh, on Facebook's, what, what does it say? It says, in Poland's politics, a social civil war brewed as Facebook rewarded online anger. An independent data analysis of major political parties in Poland that was conducted for the Washington Post showed that after 2018, negative messages were more likely to receive a high number of shares. Most political part well, what if they were using emojis? Maybe it was articles with emojis. Most political parties in Poland have complaints about Facebook's algorithm. Yeah, they all do. Same in America. Both parties complaining equally. Both parties feel that Facebook's hurting them. That's what's happening. How can that be true? That both sides think that Facebook's helping their opponent. Most political parties in Poland have complaints about Facebook's algorithms the obscure formulas that decide which posts pop up on a user's news feed and which fade into the ether. The far-right Confederation Party does not. It's a hate algorithm, says Tomas Grabarczyk, who heads the party's social media team. But the Confederation's content generally does well, including a slew of anti-lockdown, anti-immigration, vaccine-skeptic posts, often punctuated with large red exclamation marks. I think... We are good with emotional messages, he says. Yep, so the social media dude for one party thinks he's doing a good job. I bet he does. <laughs> really, really interesting here. I got to I got to get past this paywall, if you'll pardon me for one second here. Do, do, do. Ah, okay. Remove, remove, okay, and 
Okay. Okay. Save. Alrighty. Uh, uh. The sound you hear in the background is hacking. Please hold the line. <laughs> it sounds like somebody is updating their ad blocker process. There we go. Off that website. So it says, I, the most political parties hate in Poland have complaints about the algorithm. That Facebook might be amplifying outrage while driving polarization and evaluating more extreme parties around the world has been ruminated on it inside the company for years, according to internal documents known as the Facebook Papers, which were disclosed by the whistleblower Francis Hogan to the Senate Securities Exchange Commission. Redacted versions were reviewed by a consortium of news organizations, including the Washington Post. In one April 2019 document by Bob in Department 37BXQR4, in it somewhere on floor 57 of a, one of their thousands of buildings in, in a filing cabinet and some folder called the good stuff. A, a, one document from April, 2019 detailed a research trip to the European union. A Facebook team reported feedback from European politicians that an algorithm changed the previous year. Uh, billed by Facebook chief executive Mark Zuckerberg as an effort to foster more meaningful interactions on the platform had changed politics for the worse. Ah, right. So now Polish politicians um, believe that a algorithm change at Facebook has changed their politics for the worse. Right, because they're watching how Facebook's updating the algorithms. The Facebook team reported back specific concerns from Poland where political parties had described a social civil war online. Yes, and for those who don't know, we talked about this just recently in this room with Maria. And uh, who's the the lady from Poland that joins us uh, with the yellow avatar? Uh, Huh? Oneida? I'm not sure. No, Magda. Magda. Magda, yes. So Magda, Magda. I, Magda and I were both talking about, and I've told you many, many times, that Poland, because it's on the border uh, with Belarus and the non-EU, is where immigrants come in. In fact, there's immigrants on the border right now from Afghanistan. Poland is putting... Uh, 10,000 military personnel on that border to stop those immigrants from coming in. And we talked about, did we not, that they have a bit, not only, here's the crazy thing. They're claiming that this all this big brouhaha has been happening on Facebook. Well, guess what? If you turn on a news camera, you will see huge clashes, huge physical, civil, you, they're calling it a social civil war online. No, no, no. You have a civil war happening in your streets in Poland. Feel free to send me the links, BB or anyone in the audience. You can Google that and find that in a heartbeat. There is massive clashes happening in the streets of Warsaw over politics, over immigration. Are those massive, are those huge civil war-like battles in the streets of Warsaw? Uh, is that 
are those Facebook uh, sponsored clashes? Is is Mark Zuckerberg in the in the middle of those things? So to to somehow blame Facebook for uh, this is just ridiculous. It's like in the time to- prior, this is it's like saying there were no. Uh, countries, uh, the breakup of Yugoslavia, how can we figure out how to tie that back to Facebook? How the Albanians and the Macedonians want to slaughter each other and the Serbs. Uh, Is Facebook somehow to blame for the incredible tensions between the Palestinians and the Jews? I would say so. Facebook was around since like what? um, Zero B.C.? So now every political thing that happens, the journalists are going to try and say Facebook did it. Facebook made me do it. Facebook made me become a far right leaning, you know, anti-immigrant, whatever. It's, it's just ridiculous. People in countries, especially around Europe, have been doing this since the fucking beginning of Europe. If anything, it's been slowing down post Facebook since 2007. So anyway, the article continues. The Eastern European country, led by the populist Law and Justice Party since 2015, is bitterly divided between ardent supporters of the government and equally committed critics. Battle lines are drawn over such issues as abortion, LGBT rights, and a fight with the EU over the primacy of the laws that bind the 27-nation bloc. In Warsaw, the two major parties... Law and Justice and the opposition civic platform accused social media of deepening the country's political polarization, describing the situation as unsustainable. Right. They turned you into hate-filled idiots. Yep. Facebook did it. It turned you into a stupid person. It took away your IQ and your critical thinking. Made you start hating. Made, made you start hating immigrants. That, you, that wasn't from you. That wasn't your parents. It was Facebook. Across multiple European countries, major mainstream parties complained about the structural incentive to engage in attack politics, the report said. They see a clear link between this and the outsized influence of radical parties on the platform. An independent data analysis of major political parties in Poland that was conducted for the Post shows that after 2018, negative messages were more likely to receive a higher number of shares. Okay. Previously, it appeared that more of a mix of positive and negative posts did well. Some Facebook employees recognized the need to act according to the documents, but it was not just out of concern over the potentially damaging impact on society internal documents show. By the way, is it just me? Or when you turn on NBC News, ABC News, CNN, are they talking about positive stories or negative stories? When they're reporting stories each day, are they reporting on a murder that happened in your neighborhood? Are they reporting on, you know, the grandpa who had his 80th, you know, birthday with his, you know, friends from Vietnam? If it bleeds, it leads. Right. So this whole accusation that negative articles get more likes um, have we not been watching TV for the past 30 years that's been doing exactly this? Is there a point where 
where the efficacy of, of, of what we're talking about makes a difference, as in, you could argue that all weapons are negative, okay? There's a certain risk, reward, danger associated with a knife. And then, you know, the bow and arrow, you know, the club and then the knife and then the bow and arrow, and then you get to the gun, and then you get to a point where you get to nuclear weapons, and all of a sudden the rules of the game change. But the, 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 the conflict, the concept of conflict hasn't changed. We're still fighting wars, there's still tribalism, there's still divisions between countries. But all of a sudden the rules of the game have changed because you've progressed technologically to a point where nobody really understands which way it could go and what could happen and the outcomes of everybody losing their shit, basically, and who was in control of them, who was in control of the reins of those systems. So the question I want to ask is, is there, with this, of course, newspapers have always done it, town criers, and then you had newspapers, and then you had telephone, then you had radio, then you have TV. Is there a point that we get to in this where we no, re no longer really understand the sheer complexity of the system and the very subtle effects that it is having? And that's what the real story is here. Not that necessarily Facebook itself is evil or, or any you know, bullshit like that, that that journalists are trying to push, but the fact that there is a point of complexity where nobody really understands the system anymore and we don't really understand the risks anymore because it's changing so fast and it has so much power. So <clears throat> it says, it says uh, where I left off that some of the Facebook employees recognized the need to act. Some employees also felt revisions to its algorithm were best for the long-term growth. Right? Well, is that your, is that your role at Facebook? to adjust the algorithm. There's 60,000 people there. I'm sure there's more than a few Facebook employees who felt that there's they want to make revisions to the algorithm. I imagine half of them do. I imagine nearly all of them do. I imagine out of the 3.5 billion Facebook users, a lot of them would like to change the algorithms to how they like. I'm sure there's some people who would like to remove everybody from the far right. And I'll bet there's people who would like to remove all the woke people on the far left. Everybody would love to change Facebook algorithm to their liking. But yet there's this thing called free speech. In some countries, every country has different policies. America has a free speech policy. Some countries do not. So... Ultimately, it's a combination. Now, here's where it gets interesting. The next article, the next sentence says, uh, so the employees, some employees also felt that revisions to the algorithm were best for the long-term growth. Yeah, obviously, all the employees think that. Every employee of Facebook thinks that they know better how to optimize the algorithm for long-term growth. Likening such outrage-centric content to junk food. Right. Well, so there you have it. So some Facebook employees believe that they're peddling junk food, which they are. So is most of TV, period. So is most of magazines, period. Media generally is junk food. If you don't want junk food, go to the library. It's kind of like the whole food salad bar of content. You go to a library. If you go to a newsstand or social media, that is junk food. But and the bar of entry is higher. No, is that not the, not the difference, Tyler? That the bar, of course, all this, all of this is, is shit. You know, we 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 make things as a society to consume, but the bar of entry is much higher. No, and it's it's not it's not so 
uh, effective at algorithmically pushing itself onto you for consumption. Is that not the difference here? Here's a quote. We can choose to be idle and keep feeding users fast food, but that only works for so long. Well, it's done McDonald's pretty well for quite a few years, I would say. The internal report said, many have already caught on to the fact that fast food is linked to obesity and therefore its short-term value is not worth the long-term cost. Uh, well, again, Coca-Cola might disagree. And I want a burger now, Tyler. Thanks. Tyler, I just tweeted at you a couple of pictures. Um, you know the American phenomenon of driving around with all kinds of like political flags and logos yes. and bumpers? I tweeted a couple. I mean, to me, I look at those and they're outrageous. They're really offensive. But it's sort of like it's that's the American way are these really horrific, offensive like statements. I mean, just look at these these uh, cars decorated as for for the Trumpers. There's, there. I mean, there's a whole there's a whole Reddit on them, man. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I just pulled a couple. Like, what do you do? What do you do about the cars? Do you got to stop them? And it's hurting my eyeballs, so I got to have them strip their cars of these these. Yeah, like um, hard to know. I, someone in my drives you... around with a giant F Biden flag, like you know, straight up the F word, you know. That, that's that's compared to this stuff. That's that's pretty measured. I mean, this stuff is like, I mean, he, you know, the what is the Biden and the hoe. I mean, literally, like the most offensive stuff, and it's out in the open, you know. And Christ in a car. I mean, how many thousands of impressions does that make driving around some some city or town? You know, what do you do? It's it's this is our freedom of speech. So the conundrum. Anywho. It's actually the fault of all the cars. They need to regulate the cars better, just like how we need to regulate Facebook. It's, well, it's now, the fault. Here, the there's, an, there's an important point in all of this, in this article specifically, about Polish politicians uh, blaming Facebook for the uh, how Polish people are now have a very heated um, political environment. Because... Um, are we to think that, as I said before, the breakup of Yugoslavia, uh, did or or the falling of the Soviet Union, did was did Facebook somehow play a role in that, or in the breakup of Yugoslavia, or you know the 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 endless you know disagreements between uh, the Jews and Palestinians, Israelis and Palestinians, you know obviously this shit is human nature, and has nothing to do with Facebook, and has been going on since the beginning of humanity. And in fact, since Facebook started around 2007, uh, those things are not getting worse since 2007. They might be getting worse since, since 2019. So the question is, is it possible the algorithm does reward things that uh, based on engagement. If people are engaging with it, if they're reading the whole article, if they like it, if they respond to it, if they comment, if they leave an emoji, good or bad, that's what gets, that's what's primary in the algorithm. The, the, to, to say that the algorithm uh, has some kind of bias towards negative or content the algorithm doesn't know that the content is negative. The, con the, the algorithm knows who's engaging with it. If humans are engaging with it, it promotes it. It turns out that humans are engaging with negative content disproportionately. This right? is exactly my point this morning. 
So right. is there a point when you start talking about the fact they have 3 billion people that they unfortunately do become responsible for it? Just because humans are acting in a, in a naff way, um, and there's probably stronger words to describe it as that, and they've enabled this fantastic set of algorithms that push whatever is trending, it's not their fault that that's what people go for, but because we are thrill-seeking, dopamine-seeking, more extreme-seeking beings, that's always the way it's going to go. So is there a point when they have so many people on the platform and so much reach and control that they unfortunately, by proxy, have to take some of the responsibility? I think di different countries will decide differently on that. But the point I want to make is a whole new thought, which is, in addition to that phenomena, there is uh, bad actors who are weaponizing Facebook. Facebook has said, it's been published repeatedly, that Russia and China create fake accounts automatically. Millions of accounts have been removed over the years. And they are intentionally engaging on Facebook and intentionally using Facebook in that way. Now, this changes the conversation completely. Because now it's an issue of Facebook's being used as a, a cyber... Uh, uh, what, what do we call this? Uh, a social virus. And Facebook's aware of this. And they've tried to mitigate it as best they can. And Russia would, Poland would be one of the countries they would employ this tactic against, would be very high on their list of countries they employ this tactic against. So would the U.S. And the U.S. has tons of it. I imagine Poland does too. I imagine that Russia is all up in the Polish Facebook intentionally fanning the flames on all of that stuff. So that to me is the bigger issue. And there is the, the secondary issue of, uh, as we were saying, is like, how do we, how does, how does each country want to police and hold, to what degree do they want to hold Facebook responsible versus the country responsible versus the individuals being responsible, heaven forbid, that Facebook is a magnifying glass or, or, or a multiplier of, of humanity, of hu humans' basic instincts. And it turns out that when you've got a whole bunch of stupid people, they're going to do a whole bunch of stupid stuff and they're going to consume trash content and they're going to if if you let me put it this way here here's a great example if you were to have all of the food on the planet in one massive room right and i mean everything do we imagine where do we imagine the hordes of people would go to and imagine you've got 3 billion people in one big restaurant and this restaurant has every possible dish you could ever imagine do we imagine that they're at the fucking salad bar or are they at the dessert station? Are they eating healthy food or unhealthy food? Are they eating pure car? Are they at the macaroni and cheese? Or, and the, and the you know, the sweets and the ice cream machine? God, God for, I, I, I hesitate. I, it, it, it horrifies me to imagine what's happening at the ice cream machine in this imaginary scenario. Oh, it's a free-for-all. And something tells me that, that there's not the longest line at the salad bar. But now imagine that the restaurant is free and actually rewards you for coming and eating there. 
then you're hooking your mouth up to the spigot and turning it on. My point is, is now that if we see Facebook in that context, that humans are going to, you know, be gorging themselves, you know, you know, with their mouth over the slurpy machine nozzle and, you know, with their 64 ounce super cups, bringing in trash cans to fill up with, you know, the vanilla ice cream soft serve. What, is Facebook responsible to say, ah, okay, everybody, we realize you're dumb fucking idiots. Sorry, we didn't realize. We need to be your parents. Please forgive us. Okay, ah, we need to shut down the dessert section from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. And, and you're only allowed to go there. Facebook needs to be your parent. This is what the argument turns into. People are going to essentially... The argument becomes, we need Facebook to be our parents because we don't have good parents or we are not able to control ourselves. And we expect you, Facebook, to dictate to us what's good for us because we can't do it for ourselves. There is a little bit of a difference there, though, because in the concept of the cakes, for instance, yes, it's, it's how much are those cakes being specifically designed to be more attractive than the salad? As in, it's not just a concept of, well, we have this... Well, they are. You, have you, have you been have, to Paris? Have you walked... I, I, yeah, I, I, was in, I was in catering for 10 years, absolutely. <laughs> the <laughs> cakes do look a lot better than the salads, i got to tell you. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, they do. And it's, it's unfortunately, um, food science has turned into nothing but uh, hiding sugar values and inserting air into recipes. It's, it's a tragedy. But the, the point is, um, there's, there's multiple levels to this. You, you know, there's the one that you just said where is Facebook... Uh, responsible for the fact that people don't have a lot of self-control as to what they consume. Then there is, is Facebook just um, accepting all the content and then laying it out on a plate and then saying, hey, what do you want to eat? Or is Facebook laying it out on a plate and then sending stewards out into the street and then guiding you to a specific table? Because those are two very different arguments. One of them is providing an amplification for content in an altruistic way, whether it's good or bad. And the other one is actually guiding people to consume that content. I got you. Okay. Maybe it's this. That's a big difference. Maybe it's you walk into the big restaurant, you veered over towards the dessert, the the cake, the the pastries, and Facebook is saying, ah, looks like you like pastries. And then you sit down at the table and you start eating your bowl of ice cream and then they start bringing food based on what they think you're going to likely want to get next and it's they're bringing you a whole bunch of desserts the next thing you know you're 600 pounds and you've died of a heart attack and you want to blame facebook of course the person at the table should have the self-control but the person at the table happens to have a hundred million years worth of evolution telling him not to have self-control because of the dopamine hits that he's receiving and the, the, the so what it comes down to is we as humanity are not evolved enough to use facebook no we're not because it's moved much ah, so it's, than we so it's but is that facebook's fault well, that's the final question isn't it of course it's not facebook's fault it's just trying to do something but it doesn't matter if it's facebook's fault because what you have to ask is is the potential negative outcomes out of this worth the freedom to facebook of course, Facebook should be allowed to do what they want, and then individuals should be able to self-control. But you say if you add up all the positive, possible negative effects and the effects it's having on society, and no, I don't know uh, ultimately whether it's good or bad, the effects, but if you add all of those up, is it worth it? Is Facebook's freedom as a company 
worth what could possibly happen? That's the, that's the question. Because humans won't change. We won't all of a sudden learn how to navigate social media in a healthy way and absorb content in a healthy way. Because we have millions of evo years of evolution telling us just to get that dopamine hit. Would, wouldn't it, wouldn't it be similar to telling restaurants you can't have a dessert section? It would be if a restaurant was in your town and if a restaurant opened up near a school, for instance, mm -hmm. and was offering free junk food to children and then was actively advertising outside the schools and then waiting outside the schools and maybe like ringing a little bell to get, get children's attention to come into the restaurant. I imagine a lot of people would have a problem with that. And they would say, well, yes, technically, in the, in the, in the word of the law, you are allowed to go where you are and do what you're doing. But altruistically in the benign sense of, of a society and what you're doing you shouldn't be doing that or at least you have a responsibility to be better so yeah I, I get what you're saying though I do understand what you're saying that this shouldn't be a problem that we have to talk about but it is and it's not going anywhere and I don't think we're going to change as people because we do ha as, uh, I would say that Coca-Cola does run uh, very spend billions of dollars at ringing little bells at kids what it does and that's why it's regulated at least in the uk for things like when it can show advertisements and stuff like that and where it's allowed to you know c cocaine for instance is is cocaine is a chain of carbon nitrogen and hydrogen um it's not evil why do we regulate it because you can't trust people and because the damage that it does is just not worth the freedom to let people take it freely where's the one like a war okay so the next one is, where are we at? We got through the big articles. Um, yes, we did. Okay. So now we get to get into the tweets. Uh, like this one from BB, that El Salvador adds nearly $25 million in Bitcoin to state coffers, president says. The El Salvadorian government acquired 420 more Bitcoin on Wednesday, President Bukele announced on social media. Did he announce it on Facebook? Did people engage? Is that going to cause riots in the streets? Stay tuned next week to find out. Um, yeah. Next one from BB, from Nikkei Japan. China holds out on zero COVID goal ahead of Beijing Olympics. 5,000 room quarantine complex nears completion in Guangzhou with more in the works. This could, this is a huge issue here. China's ramping up its push to end coronavirus outbreak with less than 100 days until the Winter Olympics in Beijing, an event President Xi Jinping considers a key stepping stone towards solidifying a rare third term as leader. On the outskirts of the southern industrial capital of Guangzhou, the final touches are being put on an expensive complex consisting of rows upon rows of white buildings, Construction at the Guangzhou International Health Station, China's first dedicated quarantine facility for arrivals from overseas, began in June. The buildings themselves were mostly completed in September, with the work now focused on roads and other features. We will still, we still don't know exactly when it will open, but it's probably going to be soon, a source familiar with the matter said. While most countries pivot away from zero-tolerance approach, Focusing instead on vaccine rollouts and learning to live with the coronavirus, China is doubling down on its zero-COVID strategy. Roughly, a, The roughly 5,000-room Guangzhou complex costs more than 1.7 billion yuan, or $266 million. China's 
Xinhua News Agency reports and will use robots to distribute mills and disinfect services to minimize human contact. China requires all arrivals from overseas to completely isolate themselves for two to four weeks. Though travelers can currently spend this time in hotel rooms, plans are to start monitoring them more closely at dedicated quarantine facilities like these in Guangzhou. A Chinese health official on September 29 urged cities with large volumes of international arrivals to build similar complexes. Facilities are planned in Dongguan and Shenzhen. In addition to the four-week quarantine at a hotel. Four weeks? That's a one-month quarantine. Jesus. The northeastern... paradise, Tyler. Hey, if they got a good internet connection, and if they keep bringing me those cakes, just keep that dessert tray rolling. But what if you want to play video games? But can I sue them if they just keep bringing the desserts? Um... Who knows? It's a it's a really interesting point, but they have to be incredibly careful with COVID before the Olympics. The next one is from Poppy from Wired. The race to stop fish becoming the next factory farming nightmare. Many diets that are better for our health and the planets call for eating more fish, where will it all come from? Well, we're already running out of fish. Fishing is a huge international issue, honestly. And let me turn off these cookies so I can read this article. Tyler, I think uh, shrimp would be a good replacement. But we talk about that later. Yeah, I, I, you're, I, don't, I don't think you're wrong, actually. In terms of protein, you mean, right? Yes, and also... I'm involved with a company that does uh, like a vertical factory farming of shrimp, but mm. you know, kind of stilt at this point. Does anybody know there's a lot of um, beef and chicken replacement, like where um, uh, Beyond Meat and those kind of companies that are trying to replicate it? Is anybody doing that for fish yet? Trying to either grow from stem cells or create uh, like plant based fish products? Good question. I'm not familiar with any. I think people have been listening to Nirvana too much. It's okay to eat fish because they don't have any feelings. So, Subway. La oh, Subway is really pioneer on this one. Lab-grown fish. How lab-grown fish ma could help save our oceans. So there was a recent article from time.com. Seafood without the sea. Will lab-grown fish... So there's an NPR article here. Let's try this one. Seafood without the sea, lab-grown fish. High-tech meat alternatives are grabbing a lot of headlines these days. Last month, Impossible Burger marked a meatless milestone with its debut at Burger King. Meanwhile, Lou Copperhouse was in San Diego Office Park quietly forging plans to disrupt another more fragmented and opaque sector of the food industry, seafood. His company, Blue Nalu, a play on Hawaiian term that means both ocean waves and mindfulness is racing to bring to market what's known as cell-based seafood, which is seafood grown from cells in a lab, not harvested from the oceans. So it's called Blue Nalu out of San Diego. I feel like that must be a little bit harder to do than the... Because obviously the, the products that I've seen of 
chicken and beef are always kind of minced, pureed, and then reformed. So things like burgers and sausages and that sort of thing. Whereas fish is, is flaky, it has that specific consistency, doesn't it? So I'd be interested in how they're achieving that consistency through either growing or printing. So there's, well, there's a separate issue as well, which is there are some parts of the world where carp are a plague, where they have millions and millions and millions of carp that they want to get rid of. And the issue is that it's not the most delightful fish to eat. They're too, bo too, too bony, bone. right? Yeah, it's, that's another bit of the issue. Yeah, but could, couldn't you not Lion make... Lionfish, too. Huh? Lionfish, I don't know if you have those, but they're all over the Caribbean and Florida. Lionfish are killing everything as an invasive species yeah it says carps occupy 97 percent of australia's large east coast rivers the carp control challenge they literally it's out of control they don't know what to do about it it's out of control that's protein that a lot of the world would love to have they can make can can fish can cup and also fish right. cake up. yeah you just throw that shit into a blender and you find some bone, by Tyler. huh? Chinese Chinese fish balls need to go viral. Cooking yeah. by Tyler, yeah. the new uh, chef on uh, Clubhouse. Throw that shit in a blender. Throw that shit in a blender. That's that's how I do it. That's pretty much every my whole menu is anything I can fit in a blender. <laughs> so, um, yeah, the 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 fish issue is a, a tricky one because, like, the tuna, the swordfish, the and the Chilean sea bass. I mean, it's getting very, very, very serious. Uh, yet carp is, you know, a literal biblical plague happening in Australia. What about in uh, in Japan, Cheryl? Are we are they running out of fish? Because you know, Japan has to have its tuna. It's hard to get tuna these days. No, we there's actually a big variety of fish selection and seafood selection in Japan. But the thing is, if the whole world wants to eat the self cultured the uh, fish or seafood let the whole world eat it just leave the real ones for japanese i mean for japan Thank so you. The, for for those who don't know japan japan controls the fish market globally and all of the best seafood each day goes to tokyo to we used to be skiji market right near right at cheryl's house Skiji market each day gets 13% of all of the stuff that comes out of the ocean each day. Flown in on airplanes, a lot of it, because it's coming from all over the planet. And the Japanese pay more than anybody for the premium products that come out of the ocean each day. And that's just that one market. They have other markets. I think Japan's consuming about 20% of the what comes out of the oceans and they pay far more than any other country for the, you know, the, the pick of the litters of everything each day coming out of the oceans. And it ends up in the Japanese fish markets. So if you are a sushi restaurant and you want to have the best products or any seafood restaurant, you have to buy it from the Japanese markets and fly it back. For, and it could be from Boston. You could be a New York, you could even be yeah a New York sushi restaurant. And a lot of your fish is coming from, and it, they could have caught it off the coast of, you know, New Zealand, uh, or sorry, Newfoundland, 
or Boston or Maine, and you will have to buy it via Dogio. Those are amazing cold chains, by the way, how they keep it at a certain temperature over all the way. It's cool technology. So Japan doesn't have a food problem because they're they're very willing to pay for it. And that's why when, you know, if you say, is there a, there's a huge global tuna problem, but Japan doesn't have a tuna problem. They're paying tens of thousands of dollars for tunas. Out of curiosity, is it all used for food and consumption or is it used, is any of it used for anything else such as uh, medicinal or anything like that? No, that's pretty much food, yeah. Anywho, the, this article from Wired says the race to stop fishing becoming the next far, factory farming nightmare. Many diets that are better for our health and the planet call for eating more fish. Where will it all come from? And it says fish aren't simply a much healthier source of protein. They have a relatively small impact on the environment, too, compared to most land animals. The Atlantic salmon swimming in Holmes Farm are remarkably efficient machines since they are cold-blooded and are supported by the buoyancy of water. Fish can channel more of their energy into growth, which means they need fewer calories from food than other livestock. It takes about 1.15 kilograms of fish feed to produce a kilogram of farmed salmon. Holy shit, that's efficient. Sufficiently lower than any commonly farmed land animal. It's the same basic reason why lab-grown meat companies are opting to grow beef in bioreactors. More efficient methods of meat production should come with lower greenhouse gas emissions. In a world of 9.7 billion people in need of nutritious, readily available, and sustainable sources of protein, fish looks like one of our best bets. So where are all these fish going to come from? Not the open ocean, where almost 60% of widely eaten fish are already being fished at their maximally sustainable limits. Wild capture fishing has chipped away at the ocean fish population, leaving many species badly depleted. In the United States, salmon used to be found in almost every single coastal river northeast of New York's Hudson, but now the country's only remaining wild populations occupy a handful of rivers in Maine. The same story repeats itself almost everywhere you look in the water. In 2010, the total mass of the Pacific bluefin tuna capable of breeding reached its lowest ever recorded level, just 11% of its 1952 numbers. In 2015, the World Wildlife Fund released a report revealing that overfishing, habitat destruction, and climate change had caused fish populations to fall by nearly half between 1970 and 2012. The oceans aren't able to meet our current demand for fish, let alone feed future generations. Here's the quote. Hunting and gathering out of the ocean is a joke. We haven't hunted and gathered most of our food on land for 3,000 years, says Kevin Fitzsimmons at the University of Arizona's College of Ag Agriculture and Life Sciences. The alternative to Fitzsimmons is obvious. Rather than pluck fish out of the sea, why not repeat what we already do with livestock and crops? Grow them intensively at scale. Globally, fishing has been heading in, a, in this direction for decades. In 1961, farmed fish made up about 5% of the world's entire seafood production, but since the late 80s, farming fish, also known as aquaculture, has boomed. In most aquaculture, farmed fish is kept in net pens, large circular cages usually made from steel or plastic anchored to the ocean floor or to the bottom of freshwater ponds or lakes. 
In 2013, the volume of seafood produced in this way overtook wild capture for the first time, and since then, the gap has continued to grow since the 1990s. The world's total population of wild-caught fish has plateaued, while the amount of fish coming from farms has more than tripled. The aquaculture industry has grown up exponentially fast. What we did with terrestrial agriculture in 3,000 years, we've done in aquaculture essentially in the last 30 And that's the problem, which which is what that this article gets into, and it's a super crazy, incredibly ridiculously long article, but it seems very interesting. So I will share that on the Tech News Twitter account at TNATW. Important to note quickly, Tyler, that in those three thousand years of terrestrial farming, we still haven't figured out how to really do it ethically and properly. So, and if you can't get people to care about chickens being fed into grinders for instance or or even cows being um put so close together that their sores transmit across the their hides in 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 long lines Um, and those are creatures that we can have a rapport with you know people generally have a rapport with the concept of cows and chickens especially chicks how can you get them to have a rapport with with fish you know we we see them in society as generally unfeeling and and closest really to to insects so I, i don't really know how this industry is going to become better if there's not a societal driving force behind it. Mm-hmm. So other interesting articles happen in here from Poppy. A India has a new unicorn called Akko, which I believe is unicorn number 34 for this year. And Tiger, here's an article that Tiger Global Sequoia and SoftBank, top investors in tech unicorns. Yep, I could have told you that. <laughs> As of August 31st, 2021, there were 826 unicorns, and 750 of them are tech unicorns. Okay. Investors remain highly bullish on the prospects for the tech sector and continue to invest in tech unicorns. Tiger Global has backed the largest number of tech unicorns and has 129 in its portfolio. It mainly focuses on internet-driven consumer and fintech companies. Stripe, Instacart, Databricks are the top-valued unicorns backed by Tiger Global. Sequoia Capital, a leading traditional venture investor, is not far behind, has backed 123. ByteDance, Stripe, and SpaceX are the top-valued unicorns backed by Sequoia. SoftBank is also among the top three investors and has 93 tech unicorns in its portfolio. ByteDance, Klarna, and Revolut are the top-valued unicorns by SoftBank. And then this does a huge geographic breakdown of the top tech investors, like the 20 or 30 top top 20. All the top 20 investors have strong portfolio in e-commerce, cloud, and fintech, and then it shows... A breakdown of this is incredibly valuable chart in this article. I got to tweet this out. You, if you're curious which firms invest in what, here is the breakdown of the top 20 firms and what they invest in. It tells you how many investments they've done in each of the following categories e commerce, cloud, fintech, AI, medtech, edtech, big data, cybersecurity, digital media, uh, and, and a couple other categories. And that's super helpful to know because if you are in ed tech or med tech, then you want to be uh, pitching to the firms that actually invest in those categories. And don't waste your time with the ones who don't. Very interesting article. Okay, next up is from Craig Nielsen. 
uh, with an article from Forbes that says that General Electric's GE to use Sweden's Ironride autonomous electric trucks. Swedish freight company Ironride and General Electric, GE, to bring Ironride's autonomous electric transports to, to the United States. So now GE's products and services will be transported on American highways by totally autonomous trucks. From Sweden. There we go. Next up from Poppy. Uh, that Zilch is assembling a new funding round to take on Klarna. Klarna rival Zilch. No, not a rival. A clone. This is an utter shameless copycat. <laughs> Good luck to them. Yeah, yeah, exactly right. Klarna rival Zilch is assembling a new funding round, according to sources familiar with the matter, speaking exclusively with verdict. I've never heard of Zilch. 90% of people in Scandinavia use Klarna. So as... Carl said, good luck to you, sir. Uh, you have your work cut out for you. And this is officially uh, Klarna copycat number 587 for those keeping count. The, that is, without a doubt, the most copied company on the planet. I'm trying to remember. It's a word that Zilch is, is used in Britain like a few decades back, but from memory, it means like of non-consequence, of insignificance. Right. So it's kind of ironic that they've called their own company. Yes, zero. I think they mean they charge zero interest to the users. But the next one is from Poppy from NPR that you can now ask Google to scrub images of minors from its search results, meaning if you are the parent of a child, you can tell Google, I don't want you to have any photos of my child. You must remove them all. And how do you think they do that? Perhaps a little facial recognition algorithm. Shame on the journalists for not even understanding what they're writing about. The next one from NPR. Cigarette sales went up last year for the first time in 20 years. It's got to be Facebook. Facebook made them do it. Must have been Facebook. Turns out, all those new smokers, all Facebook users. Figure that one out. The next one from Poppy from ZDNet that Cisco unveils their WebEx holograms for AR meetings. So you can have a, speaky, a spooky meeting with a ghost version of your coworkers. Used with AR headsets such as Magic Leap and Microsoft HoloLens, WebEx Hologram promises to deliver photorealistic, real-time holograms of actual people. Cisco has been dramatically revamping its WebEx portfolio over the past year. Earlier this year, Facebook introduced its own attempt at mixed reality collaboration with Oculus Horizon Workrooms. Facebook's offering, however, presents participants as avatars rather than photorealistic holograms. Cisco says the use of holograms makes the experience more engaging and realistic. Obi-Wan, Obi you're our only hope. As long as my avatar can have pants on when I don't need to put them on, I'm happy. 
I imagine for for the pro version you could do that. But uh, on this point, the Facebook's annual VR event is happening in less than ninety minutes, which we can live stream if you so, if you wish. It'll be interesting to see what what they have to say uh, if they will address the whistleblower uh, as part of that event. The next one's from Poppy from Wired, which the headline reads, Cutting methane is the best way to avoid disaster. Drastically cutting methane emissions in the near term might be our only hope for keeping heating below 1.5 C. Does anyone have any kind of speciality in on that issue? Bad as things are, each new climate report helps us to better understand what we can do to turn things around. Although climate change discussions focus mostly on carbon dioxide, the most important greenhouse gas by far, one of the big takeaways from the IPCC report is that to have any hope of staying below 1.5 C of heating, we urgently need to cut methane emissions. Here are our four takeaways on how a bigger focus on cutting methane, especially from the oil and gas industry, can provide a huge leg up on tackling the climate crisis. Uh, Limit near-term warming. Take the edge off one downside of of reducing pollution. We already have the tech we need to cut methane. Um... And we need to get the policies in place around methane, which this might sound difficult. Strange. Yeah, but this is not so totally different from the chlorofluorocarbons that were, you know, the hole in the ozone issue that we had back in the 90s, which we managed to pass the regulations on that rather expeditiously and uh, avoid that catastrophe. The challenge, though, is CFCs are not naturally occurring. We were producing them so we could stop the production. I mean, cows are producing more methane than anything else on the planet. So, Uh, Dump sites as well, Um, as in like waste sites, refuse sites, uh, tips, we call them in the UK. Um, What's really weird about this, I thought methane was actually, it's it's one of the ones we, yes, of course, it's a very powerful um, greenhouse gas. It's more powerful than carbon dioxide, but it breaks down. Like it breaks down under under the UV um, sunlight, and so it doesn't last um, for very long. It's one of the reasons why we look for the methane signature when we're looking at other planets, the spectral lines, their atmosphere, to see if there's life there. Because if there's any sort of methane, then there has to be a process which is constantly uh, regenerating it. So, uh, the, the, the point is, is it is the worst, but it, it breaks down, whereas carbon dioxide sticks around for much, 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 much longer. And if you want to just go, well, okay, methane is is a worse greenhouse grass. Don't worry about how long it lasts, but it is the worst. Well, water is actually the worst. Water is, is thank is you, thank far, you, Carl. Worse than me. Finally, thank you, Carl. I'm a mechanical engineer. When I look yeah. at this pot of gas and I see that water vapor takes up four times more energy than any other gases, and our atmosphere is more water vapor than other gases, the greenhouse gas of concern is water vapor. <laughs> exactly, but we can't really control it, and we can't really do anything about it, and it's really hard to track because it has less sort of signatures like isotopes that that we can track with things like where did the carbon dioxide come from or where did the methane come from. So it, that's a strange article. But... Tyler, Dr. Danish would like to jump into this if you can check the. Hands. Okay, yeah, sure, and Eli. Eli's the energy. 
and oh, oh, and some actual experts would be good. Okay, go ahead. I was actually going to jump in on a, on the earlier point about buy now, pay later and Klarna. Uh, I was going to mention that there's this new company that's up and rising that you're going to hear a lot about. Uh, it's partnered with Olive, which is a billion dollar company. Uh, they just have been raising a crazy amount of money in healthcare. Uh, and what you're going to see, which is super exciting about Klarna, and I feel bad because Klarna uh, clearly was the leader in this, but there are true copycats. They're literally doing the exact same thing. <laughs> Uh, like Zilch, I was looking at them and I was like, what's different about you? But uh, we're actually going to see unbundling of Klarna. So right now there's a company that is doing that in healthcare uh, called Violet Pay. Uh, they're kind of coming out of stealth right now. Uh, and uh, just through a fund that I'm involved with, uh, they were evaluating them. And they're doing buy now, pay later for healthcare. And then I was starting to look into how this is happening. And you're going to see buy now, pay later for healthcare and for real estate. And each one of them, like imagine you could put pay a house and not get a mortgage, but do buy now, pay later for that. Uh, maybe buy now, buy now, pay later for rent. I mean, there's so much that's going to come from this BNPL. I think it's it's like the beginning of credit cards. It's a, it's a really exciting space. So I wanted to say that. Um, and all I'm going to say about methane versus water is we also do need the water. Uh, so uh, whereas methane is uh, uh, it does not provide true benefit. And so I think that's why people are going after methane gas as a potential greenhouse gas, because we know that it doesn't actually add any tremendous value in terms of human life and other things. Whereas uh, if we converted all the water vapor into <laughs> into other water that was not evaporable, I wonder what would happen. So uh, it's just, it's, it's harder to titrate. So, okay, um, quick primer on, on uh, the, the way our atmosphere uh, keeps in heat or doesn't. Um, without uh, greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, eventually all of the water vapor would uh, rain or freeze out and we would have another ice age. Um, what happens is something uh, traps enough heat to, to keep things, you know, ab above... Uh, that cold temperature, which once, once obtained all around the earth, and there were multiple cycles of this. Um, methane is a much more powerful greenhouse gas, uh, you know, at any given instant, uh, molecule for molecule than CO2. Uh, it does break down faster. The focus on methane lately has been due to the observation that if you look at what we what is being emitted due to human activity every year uh, and the the greenhouse potential of that, in other words, not how many molecules, but how much heat is being trapped by the respective molecules. Uh, right now, it does turn out that from the annual emissions, a big chunk of that is methane, and it is due to things like leaking from pipes, leaking from oil wells, leaking from uh, from landfills or trash dumps, uh, um, being belched by cows. Those are those are some major sources right now. The cows you can feed seaweed uh, as a tiny proportion of their diet, and that will reduce how much methane they're <clears throat> they're belching. Uh, however. And, and, you know, certainly uh, the, the industry is actually not so bad when it's pointed, the, the fossil fuel industry is not so bad when it's pointed out to them that they're losing a lot of methane here, or, here or there, because to them that is usually, not always, but usually more product. Um, so they, they, the response has been a bit better since there's been focus on this, although there will come a point at which they are less responsive just because it gets harder. Um, the, the real issue, though, 
is that even now at the level of heating that we have, there is significant permafrost thaw. And if you look at uh, satellite maps of like the northern margin of Siberia, there are high, much higher uh, concentrations of atmosphere atmospheric methane uh, locally there than would have existed naturally. And so this is kind of the the very beginning of the process where we've heated things up so much that natural sources start to emit significant amounts compared to what we're emitting. And if that process continues, that would be a tipping point where when you get enough get far enough over a tipping point and there are multiple tipping points you're in a situation where it's not what we're emitting and what we're doing that's the major driver it's the natural processes that we've set off and this is why it's really important not to go there and not going there you know involves the things that we all know about switching to renewables uh but also uh, um, carbon dioxide removal the kinds of projects that i've been working on and and also, you know, hopefully, some form of social uh, solar radiation management, whether it's cumulus cloud thinning, uh, marine cr cloud brightening, or uh, space-based solar radiation management uh, uh, approaches that I've been discussing lately in small steps and giant leaps. Um, and you know, I know I'm talking about a lot of complicated things, but climate is complicated, and we've we've been you know <laughs> dumping in our climate for a long, long time. And, and this is the other major point that I wanted to get to. Um, while methane emissions uh, um, are a big portion of what is trapping heat because methane is more potent, um, it's not annual emissions anymore. It's, I mean, the annual emissions are just how much we're making it worse every year. But the big problem is what is built up. And that is why in the long term, the real way of solving the problem is large scale carbon dioxide removal and dealing with methane. I'll be back in a second. Um, keep, but, hey, Ellie, keep going. I'll be back in a minute. Okay. But, uh, but um, you know, still not making the problem worse is is obviously important uh and do you know finding whatever insurance policies we can find uh such as uh solar radiation management space-based solar radiation management is actually attractive for a bunch of reasons um are really what we absolutely need to do uh <laughs> with much more uh, uh, force and determination than than we have been already. Does it, does anybody have any questions on what I've said? I I did, Eli, and and we're bros, and we've been we we align in a lot of things. But you know, the last time I was in a room, I was a little bit taken aback that we're not using, you know, very good modeling to determine the, you know, the effect of some of these propositions. Can you speak about that a little bit? I mean, um, make, well, I okay, it's, but... it's 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 not my area. I've I've you know. I read some of some papers on modeling. The, the, the problem is that the, the better the resolution and the more things that you take into account, uh, the more computationally complex the models become. And the high, the, you know, the, the high fidelity models that exist today um, still, you know, are like, at, at, at the scale of many kilometers of like pixels. Um, and 
you know, still don't necessarily take in all of the potential feedbacks. I mean, someday it would really be great to be able to include biological and ecological feedbacks because they probably are important. Uh, and then, of course, there's also the matter of experimentally, experimentally validating everything, uh, which would involve probably uh, more field research that's been done for, for different ecosystems, for example. But these are, you know, they do validate these models by running them, you know, from initial conditions in history over historical periods to see if they are at least matching up with what we saw, you know, historically in, in the climate record. And that's one way that things are validated. And there are other ways that, that people attempt to validate them. So it's a ve- the bottom line is that it's very challenging, both scientifically and in terms of the computational workloads. And there's certainly a lot of room for improvement. And, you know, for example, um, you know, the, the space-based solar radiation management that, that I'm proposing, I think that, you know, if we, if we do go down that road, which I think we should, uh, it should be accompanied by spending billions of dollars on modeling efforts to really, really understand, you know, all of the nuances, all of the details, look for anything that would be unexpected to figure out, you know, whether it's a showstopper or whether it's something that just tells us we need to do things a little bit differently. But, um, uh, you know, not not a trivial proposition. I, I know that there are like online games that include like universe, or universe.sim, I think is what it's called, where you, it includes like uh, uh, climate simulations. And I, I, I think it's great because it creates awareness uh, and maybe it also, uh, in the process, uh, gives people an idea of of uh, how how many variables and how complicated it can be. But um, it's just not a trivial endeavor if you want meaningful results. So here's why I'm concerned, right? We, we really only have one shot, and we have to sway the public. And with what this crisis has shown us is if we don't come out you know, with full transparency early on about the depth of our knowledge or the lack of knowledge, we're going to start creating this skepticism of the public. And so when I hear that the climate models don't account for, you know, the mechanical energy dissipation of storms, um, it, it, it kind of concerns me because I see the world as an engine. As a mechanical engineer, all I study is the transfer of energy and how engines work. And so when I see heat and I see cold, there's an engine. And so that they're not factoring in the engine that runs the environment is where I'm just a little bit taken aback. I'm not saying there's not a problem. I'm just saying for us to apply a solution with any effect, I think we're going to have to also convince the public that we're right this time instead of, you know, just guessing. So I'm sorry. There's no definition of right, though, Chris. There's, there's no definition of right. Is there? Science iterates it. It corrects itself and fixes itself. And that's a natural, so, healthy so progress. That's what but I mean, whenever though, you is do... that by stating that, by stating that, that it is this iterative process and there is no right or wrong, you actually would right. gain somebody. But if you come out and say, hey, look, we better, you know, we better drop at 1.5 C. We better drastically change our life. We better tax ourselves, you know, X, Y, Z it becomes a challenging proposition if you don't believe, you know, if the authority is telling you we know all the answers and then you're seeing in real time that it's, they don't know the answers. And that's kind of what I'm getting at. So sorry. Um, Carl, your point there about science fixing itself, I just think it's a really important common misconception here that people use this against science a lot, that science changes its mind. It really 
doesn't in general, certainly not in the case of physics. What happens is it improves its models. So we go from an environment where we don't know the limits of our current science to an environment where we do know the limits of our current science. Um, it doesn't make the current science any less useful. So that's quite important to understand that everything Newton said was single thing he said was wrong in all circumstances, F never equals MA and so forth. Not everything he said, but nearly everything he said was wrong. But we still use it now that we know how to calculate better. It's just more complicated to calculate better. So we don't bother. We use the simpler model, but we now know the limits. Whereas Newton didn't know the limits of his idea, he thought it applied to absolutely everything. But it's still absolutely useful as long as you're not anywhere near those limits. And that goes, I think, I can't really speak for the other sciences like chemistry and biology and so forth so much. But certainly in the case of physics, it doesn't ever rewrite the rules. The, it's, it, it does, but it doesn't make the current rules any less useful and they continue to be used and they're not being undermined unless you're near the limits of where they operate. So no, I just want that, that was exactly my point. That. No, that, that was the point that I was making just in shorter words is the fact that science iterates on itself and it gets better. And actually, what, unfortunately, we want a certainty in society. And then when something changes, we're like, hold on, we just agreed that we were certain on this. Why am I now having to reassess my place in everything and what my contribution is to this problem that we're talking about, you know, DG global warming. So that's that's the issue. So I don't think you can, going to Chris's point, I don't think you can even consider the public. Like, what's what's the point? I think it has to be above that. It has to be legislative. Well, it, I mean, this, it, it's not just, I mean, this is the difference between science and, and, and politics, because, you know, in politics, it's like, like, oh, you're changing your story. And and that's a bad thing, generally. Uh, whereas, you know, in, in science, it's like you're changing your story. Well, we're because we understand more now. It's, we it's a good we thing. have a better, better picture. This is progress. This is not uh, prevarication. Yeah, we're exactly. building our story, not, not changing it, exactly. And it's a subtle difference, but it does make a big difference. It's a good point. <laughs> that, that is, a, a, when you go into the anti-vax rooms, that's their main criticism. Is ah, oh, first they told us no mask, then they told that's the same. I, I spend a lot of, the only, almost the only rooms I go into when I'm not in tech news around the world is the anti-vaxxer rooms. Uh, and it's actually Ellen and I together like to hang out in there and, and cause havoc actually. But, um, the, the, I've heard, I've heard the narrative on an endless loop for months and the it's oh, time and time again, the song is the same. It's, you know, they, at first they said masks and they, at first they said no masks and they said masks and they said no masks. These people don't know what the hell they're doing. They don't know anything about anything. They keep changing their goddamn mind. And, and how, how many of these people are buying on Amazon a cheap set of agar dishes, you know, little round dishes that have some gel in them, coughing with and without a mask on, sticking it in a cupboard, in an airing cupboard for a few couple of days and looking and seeing what shit grows. You can tell for yourself whether a mask makes a difference with experiments like that. So people never do this. They never verify shit for themselves. It's weird. Well, I, yeah, but I, I think I think the biggest the biggest conflict coming out of the pandemic was that, you know, the leader Fauci admitted to lying because for whatever, you know, whatever reason, OK, there wasn't enough mass. So I told the public mass didn't matter. Then I changed it and I admitted to it. But that was because I had my own agenda. And. There's a lot of stuff, and this guy is, you know, has led, you know, the demise of a lot of a lot of small businesses around the country. You know, the 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 impact of what, how the economy is suffering now, and there's a lot of things to that. And I think that's that extends into the whole climate discussion, right? Because people are saying, 
Well, the lead virologist is is has admitted to just making up science and everything's in the name of science. Well, it's because it's science. So you're not following the science because because you just, you know, you're ignorant. And it's it's no, you're leading this and you're lying to us and you've been caught and you've admitted to it. So I think that's the, the frustration. The, I'm so I'm gonna, I'm gonna. Donish, next time uh, around Tyler, on the next pandemic, can we all agree that the right strategy is to have some anonymous figure named Z, who, <laughs> who says, "Here's what we really need to do," and uh, you know, and pretend and like, right. and be right yes. all the time. Yeah, just drink, just drink bleach on the next pandemic. That'll, that'll sort you out. Uh, but uh, what I was gonna say is, John, you know, I think I, I don't, I know this is a, I know this is a rabbit hole. I've been down this rabbit hole before. All I'm going to say is, I think hindsight is 2020, and I think that if you understand the thought processes behind what was happening and how it was all conducted, I think that what you just said was a fair, unfair characterization of what happened. It's a, it's an opinion uh, of what you think happened. But you know, when you, you know, yes, uh, around masks, you're absolutely right that well, there was a communication error there. But uh, the converse of that would have been, and by the way, if you've heard me speak before, I've been very critical of Fauci in many different ways, but I will say that the con it wasn't what happened, it is how it happened. And I think that that's sort of part of the problem uh, is that we, you know, uh, there's one side of the coin that says, oh, please don't say anything bad about Fauci. And then the other side of the coin, that's like, Fauci's the devil. And it's like, dude, if he's just a dude uh, who was trying his best with a crazy president and with you know com complete uncertainty so i just want to be thoughtful about like making him into the devil of this like this central figure that is has led to the deaths of millions of that's not what happened right like that's not at all what happened what happened was a, you know we did a really bad job of pandemic response which by the way was dismantled right before a pandemic uh and, and there's so many other things that happened that i think like blame you know it, it's so easy it's so much fun you know, for, for centuries, we've liked being in squares, watching people get beheaded. Like, we love it. It's like the favorite uh, human pastime to, like, blame people and go after and make it all about one person. But I can tell you this, for once, I think most people should agree that this was the entire system being completely demolished by a, a disease that has been crazy humbling for everybody. So I just want to be clear about that. And sorry, I don't want to go too far down. Yeah, and almost also. every country failed in different ways, right? I mean, some got it better than others, but no one made it through clean with clean hands. And so, yeah, it's it's just mm -hmm. terrible. New Zealand just, did a damn good job. Just briefly back to the, the, the climate argument. I remember in a deep dive room I was running with, uh, with some of the guys, Ingmar and, uh, and Dan, uh, we did a little calculation. They talked about how much carbon we've got to pull out the atmosphere to sort sort things out. And uh, so my counter calculation was, so at the rate of current production of all the fossil fuel we're using, it sounded like, in broad terms, you would only need to pull in, say, in, in say five years' time. Imagine in five years, we pull out enough carbon from the atmosphere to sort things out. I know that's a big goal. You know, you'd have to spend a lot of money, trillions and trillions of dollars. But if you were to do that, the difference between pulling out all the carbon including all the stuff we burn in the next five years, if we just keep doing what we're doing versus stopping carbon production today, which is never going to happen and is politically very unpopular and only pulling that out, what's left is only 10 or 20%. So what I'm saying is if you're going to, if you're going to pull it all out at some point in the future, how about thinking about doing enough that we pull out everything, including all the, all the production and we don't even have to compromise our lifestyle quite so much. Um, it's not as, it, it, it alarmed me how, obviously, because we've been accumulating carbon for so long, 
over short time scales, uh, we're not going to add that much more to it. So maybe we don't need to sacrifice our lifestyle that much right now and focus entirely on sequestering what's there at a you know slightly higher rate. If you can build nine tenths production, uh, pulling it out the atmosphere, you can build 10 tenths and, uh, and not have to scale down the carbon as fast. Obviously, ultimately, we want to scale it down to zero. But uh, so on, on the numbers, you're right um, there. The, the other thing, though, that gets left out is is that, you know, there's a lot of morbidity and mortality and ecological damage that's associated with fossil fuels that has nothing to do with the carbon dioxide, but everything to do with, you know, the other toxic compounds that are that are produced when you burn it and, and uh, uh, you know, things like spills and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, and, absolutely. They're disgusting. You know, that that would, you know, that's the reason that some people, well, there are a number of reasons. Some people are more concerned with killing the fossil fuel industry than anything else and want to hold all efforts on climate hostage to that that uh, uh, goal that they think is overriding. And I, I think that you're actually right on the numbers in terms of the one big driver. Uh, really, we, we've got to do, you know, a whole bunch of different oh, things. Right. Do it all. Do it all. Exactly. I, 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 I mean, exactly. I the They're disgusting. I'd never go back to a fossil car. They stink. Even just sitting with the engine running, it, it, I, I agree completely. But let but the political, the politically, especially to imagine the average Texan, the politically popular answer would be, you know, help us invest in and get behind massive carbon sequestration efforts and keep driving your Ford F one forty at least until at least until you know you need to scrap it and then please consider an electric <laughs> pickup, you know, that sort of thing. So I just just wanted to put that out there as it. it because it's more realistic. It's not realistic that your average F one fifty driving Texan is going to suddenly stop tomorrow. So, so, so that's both. that was actually my thinking. In, in when I was doing the calculations on my my ocean uh, um, microalgae project, um, just assuming that the world keeps going and growing uh, fossil fuel uh, uh, combustion based emissions by two percent a year, you know, on forever. Um, and figuring out how to get ahead of that and get at everything else that we've burned, as you described. And it is possible uh, before 2045, maybe before 2040, uh, based on you know non-optimistic calculations. But I, I did want to bring it back to the point that Chris raised uh, about climate modeling not taking into account, say, uh, uh, losses due to motion. Um, there's an analogy in terms of the ocean conveyor belt uh, which like around 2006, 2007, there were people saying, oh no, it's about to collapse. And then when I was at the Ocean Sciences meeting in 2020, uh, the consensus was no, oh, there, there were lots of inaccuracies in those measurements uh, and, and there isn't really such a danger. And then right before the IPCC report came out, it was back again, no, actually the ocean conveyor belt is in danger of slowing down. And the difference here actually is not modeling it's the the raw data that we had the observations of how water is moving in the actual ocean because the ocean is just so you know it's vast and we you know we we've we've studied only a tiny fraction of it and you can have the best models in the world but if you don't have good data going into them uh you're not going to come up with with uh reliable results and i mean this is just where the state of the art is uh you know up against the things that we've been doing to our planet for so long reaching scales that have never been reached ready for more headlines Eli, a treat as always, mate. Okay. 
Shiba Inu coin price hits a new record as Robinhood petition gains popularity. According to CNN reporting on the Shiba Inu coin, soared to a new record on Wednesday, capping a surge of over 60 million percent over the past year. No, it's gone from 7 cents to 70 cents. That's 10x. That's a thousand percent. Not what, what do you mean? 60 million percent. This is when people don't that don't know how to do math get into the I, business. It, they must mean volume of trades or something, because the price has gone from seven cents to seventy cents. So I, yeah, I, I, all I know is I ten x my money. Yeah, so. it's a ten x increase, a thousand percent. Same here, same here. Okay, but what is sixty million percent? They must mean volume. I think sixty million percent is six billion times. Tyler, I think it went, know, six, it, it went higher than 700,000 times. Yeah, you're right. I went the wrong way. Sorry. 60,000, actually. Was it 6 million or 60 million? 60 million percent, this CNN article says. Oh, excuse me. You're, you're right. I think they're based, I don't know. I, I'm sorry to be late to the conversation. Um, I, I think they're basing it on the wallet that invested 8,000 and now is worth, I don't know, like 6 billion. So maybe they just divided that and then. That was what they, yeah. That's kind of weird. Yeah, it's a little to talk about compared to the very initial figure of seven cents, though. That's just figure could, I don't know. There's just a lot of error in that initial figure. A lot of, it could have been a lot of different figures. Okay, so the next one is from CNN. It says, Zuckerberg's power makes him unstoppable. Uh, throughout... Throughout thousands of pages of leaked Facebook documents, there's an uncomfortable refrain echoing from the company's own employees. Uh, echoing, uh, echoing from the company's employees, something must be done. Oh, Jesus, CNN. Right. So CNN's first sentence in this article is, Throughout thousands of pages of leaked Facebook documents, there's an uncomfortable refrain echoing from the company's own employees. Something must be done. Right. That's why there's one whistleblower. And thousands of people, and all the thousands of documents, they all say the same thing. We got we to gotta stop this. I'm <laughs> Show it. Show the documents, CNN. The documents make clear that senior leadership, including CEO Mark Zuckerberg, were made aware of the potential for real-world harms from its various platforms, amplifying hate speech, encouraging eating disorders in teens, inciting violence, and did nothing about it. There's little, if anything, in the revelations that looks good for Zuckerberg. The 37-year-old founder who built Facebook from a dorm room project into a nearly trillion dollar company on the mantra, move fast and break things. Outraged activists, pundits, and lawmakers are demanding Facebook take responsibility. The fish rots from the head down after all. But holding Zuckerberg accountable is much easier said than done. For, for its part, Facebook has pushed back on many of the reports leaked to the media, saying they are misleading and mis mischaracterize its research and actions. On an earnings call Monday, Zuckerberg sought to reframe the so-called Facebook papers as a coordinated effort to selectively use leaked documents to paint a false picture of our company. Facebook's tiered stock structure makes ousting Zuckerberg practically impossible. Although he owns less than half 
the company's stock, the class of shares Zuckerberg holds, vote with much more power than common stock. That means Zuckerberg controls the majority of the company's voting shares. Even if the board and every shareholder united against him, Zuckerberg would still be able to get his way. Here's a quote. He's a king. He's not a CEO. Former Facebook employee Yale Essenstadt told Time earlier this month. His power position at the helm of Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp gives Zuckerberg unilateral control over 3 billion people, Francis Hogan, the Facebook whistleblower, told UK lawmakers on Monday. Uh, no, Francis, he he has control of the app. There's there's billions of people who don't use Facebook, and he has no control over them. And he doesn't and even and mil millions who. <laughs> but I love I love her poetic license here. That unilateral control over three billion people. Francis Hoggins. So, 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 is that is that? Um, so, he's got control over the people that that actually use. Yes, if, yes. What she's saying is, if yeah. you've if you've ever signed up for a Facebook account, he has unilateral control over you. We're a bot now. Yeah, D, yeah, yeah, DJ. Uh, those thoughts yeah. that you're that you're. What? Well, hang on. Whatever you're saying next is actually not your own thought. It's Mark Zuckerberg telepathically feeding you thoughts. Well, well, not quite yet, but that's the plan for them. I think that's it. Well, well, we have that announcement uh, in about 50 minutes when they have their Facebook Connect event, which we will live stream. But This is straight but from DJ, what, For some reason, I want to jump on my waveboard thing. Yeah, DJ, go ahead and tell us what did Mark tell you, tell you to tell us. He told me to tell you that if you, if, even if you delete the app, He's still got um, control over other apps. <laughs> so if you use other platforms, then you still got well played. The thing is, the thing is, Facebook has control over a lot of things other than the app. So if you're involved in other other platforms, then I'm sure he's got control over you. And that's what he told Thank me. Thank you. Say. So it says shareholders aren't likely to complain too much anyway. Facebook, for its faults, has made them immensely wealthy. Although Facebook stock has lagged behind tech competitors like Apple and Google, shares are up nearly 70% since October 2019. On Friday, a consortium of 17 U.S. and more importantly, CNN, Facebook stock went up on the day, this past Monday, four days ago, when you all did your journalistic jihad of dozens of simultaneous hit pieces, the stock price went up. And Well, it's still plummeting. It's still plummeting because my, my stocks are all the way down. So, on even bad news on Friday, news. a consortium of seventeen U.S. news organizations began publishing a series of stories collectively called the Facebook Papers, based on troves of hundreds of internal company documents, which were included in disclosures made to the SEC and provided to Congress in redacted form by Hoggins Legal Counsel. The consortium, which includes CNN, reviewed the redacted versions received by Congress. Wall Street shrugged Monday as scathing headlines based on the Facebook paper spread across the Internet. Yeah, meaning the price went up, even though you guys tried to do your coordinated terrorist economic attack. People saw through your shallow ruse, CNN. 
But Tuesday, following Facebook's earnings report, in which it missed analyst expectations for sales, the stock fell 4% Tuesday. Investors care only about dollars and cents. Yep. <laughs> that's the... That's the stop the yeah, press. Yes, stop the press. Stop. Hang on. This in. Investors are happy when stock goes up and uh, when there's good data. And if you don't meet your quarterly earnings, the stock goes down. Breaking news from CNN. What? What? When is the the activism against shareholders? So here, this is the point. And you just. You just perfectly laid out the problem, which is that's now you know why they are investigating who controls Facebook, because the next normal plan would be to go after the the quote unquote sponsors and cancel Facebook. And they would go after who are the major shareholders and be like, why are you holding shares in Facebook? And now you would have the coordinated attack by the journalistic jihad crew going after the major shareholders of Facebook, but, or the voters, the members of the board, but Mark Zuckerberg, and now you know why they are writing in dismay that Mark Zuckerberg is uncancelable because he has all the voting rights. Not all of them, but the majority, which is all he needs. This, this right, and now you know why they're writing the story, because they were thinking precisely that. We have to cancel this. Who do we attack first? Oh, it turns out we can't cancel him. Oh, shit. Now, what they don't tell you is how he came to get that power, which is far more interesting than the fact that he has it. Because, um, who was it uh, at Napster? What's his name? Uh, Sean, Fa- uh, Sean Parker uh, was consulted Mark Zuckerberg in the earliest, earliest days of Facebook where he became, Mar- um, Sean Parker became the first president of Facebook because he kind of knew more how to play the game. Sean Parker had got had a company called Plaxo. Plaxo was LinkedIn before LinkedIn. Sean, being a total geek genius, figured out, oh, he was the one who pioneered the, you uh, come on to our platform give us access to your phone book so that we can see who you are connected to. And then we send them invites at a time when there was no restrictions on doing this. And it was a very novel idea that he had in doing that. And he built out this massive social network on Plaxo uh, based on people uploading their phone books. Now that's been widely adopted as a default way to build a social network. He deserves credit for pioneering that. He had Sequoia as an investor. He states that Sequoia set him up. Sequoia didn't like him as being the boss of the company, wanted to get him out. And he would argue, although maybe not publicly, that they framed him to be seen with underage girls and cocaine and whatnot and got him out of the company. So when he met Mark Zuckerberg, who's starting this new company, Facebook, which is a social network, which, boy, he knows something about uh, Sean, who did Plaxo, knows a few tricks about how to grow a social network and how big and powerful this will be. And we can wipe out MySpace in about 18 months. And they did. And more importantly, I know how to set you up 
in a corporate legal structure to protect you from your investors killing you and removing you, which they will do. So Sean helped him create these super shares, super voting rights that he now has. CNN in this piece mentions nothing of that. More importantly, Sean, after Facebook, went on to create his VC fund with Peter Thiel called Founders Fund, which the whole the whole the title is predicated on the whole concept of we don't fire the founders. That's why it's called Founders Fund. Because we're not going to try and kick you out and replace you with some Harvard Business School CEO. Which, which was standard practice, by the way, uh, for a long time. Yeah, in the Web 1.0 kind of first wave of the web, that wasn't, yeah, it was, it was sort of the norm. And anyway, but CNN doesn't even, I doubt they even know the history of how Zuck got uh, the voting power that he has or care because what they care about is remove in is deconstructing problematizing facebook which the order of business is precisely as you said chris half jestingly to go after whoever are the powers inside of facebook and break it down and put pressure on them and that ain't going to work in this case and sean parker was right they're gonna they're gonna come gunning for you do you think it would be in poor taste of the um, sponsored media or the ad-based media at the end of this to say, hey, come check out our pitch event where we're raising money for our startup? <laughs> Anywho. Kind of like Atlas, Tr Atlas Shrugged. Uh, yeah, the whole article goes on about how well-defended Facebook is, that it's very difficult to attack. Uh, which uh, why are you why why is why why is your head in that direction CNN? The next one's from Poppy, from New Scientist, and the headline reads: An AI can turn a collection of two D images, like a boat, like there's a photo of four photos of a boat from different directions, and now this AI can turn these collections of four regular photos into an explorable 3D world. A neural network can turn a selection of photographs of a scene into a 3D world that can then be viewed from any angle and could be eventually used in the metaverse. And there's an incredibly cool video as part of this article so I, that I just tweeted out to the Tech News Twitter account and you'll see a train and, and an army tank where, and it looks like somebody is moving around this big tank and train with a, with a drone camera, but they're not. It was basically a few photographs, like four photographs of this boat or tank or train. And based on the photographs, it creates a whole 3D world of it. What company is that? Exactly right. It's called Colmap. C-O-L-M-A-P. Check out the link in the Twitter account. I just, it's the most recent tweet. Yeah, this is fantastic. I mean, this takes computational photography. You know, the only thing that's missing is the light field. I know I keep talking light field, light field, light field, but the only thing you would notice off here is some shadows may not be right. But you can create a whole 
3D world from just two images, according to Colmap. The system could technically create an, an explorable 3D world from just two images. The more images you have, the better the quality. That's amazing. Yeah. Very interesting if that can be. That's machine uh, vision. They, they're using that in navigation for spine surgery today. Yeah. If you, Do you look up a company called 7D or C-Spine? Take a look at that technology. It's pretty interesting. Okay. Next up is from RCC. It says college enrollment continues to fall, except among grad students. More students pursuing an advanced degree may fuel credential inflation and obviously covid and you know people aren't going to pay the regular astronomical and go into you know everlasting student debt to attend a college through a zoom national student clearinghouse released its periodic report on higher education enrollment and the results show mixed fortunes for america's colleges and universities undergraduate enrollment has dropped Ooh, 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 oh, 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 abort, abort, abort. Okay, let's do it. Let's play our favorite game, Tech News Jeopardy. Uh, college enrollment is down. What percent? 45. Since the pandemic, since the pandemic began, com compared, compared to pre-pandemic. 7%. Eleven percent. I'm gonna say twelve. Twenty-two. Twenty-five. Tyler, qualifying question: In the U.S., one dollar, excluding international yes. students. Okay. Twenty-six percent. Twenty-three. Thirty percent. Thirty-two percent. Forty. Five. Thirty. Answer, Messi. And Messi for the final answer. Um. Is that like including the international, like Leticia said, or? Yes. The, yeah, if it includes the, the international, I would say 40. Not international. Okay, then it's 25. According to this article, it says Evan wins with 6.5%. Oh. Finally, once. I won Congratulations. The first time. Congratulations. That was the most unsexy number. Don't get used to it, Evan. Unsexy number. It's a one-off, Evan. Don't get used to it. Was that like even a blind hen can find it? I want to play double jeopardy. Final jeopardy. Okay, what is the dropout rate for males in the U.S. after their freshman year? This article doesn't address that. That one doesn't, but it is a... It's very high now. It's it's surprising after their freshman year. It depends on the demographic. I mean, um, black Males. people. Well, but African American male students, unfortunately, have higher attrition rates. So absolutely. But just males in general. I'll give you the figure. 50, I talked to the chancellor at U uh, University of California, and he came to uh, St. Louis this last week and talked to me about it. It's fifty percent for males that that don't finish their four years. Their freshman year, freshman year, they drop out after their freshman. Well, year. I imagine what he means is fifty percent who start as freshmen don't complete uh, the four-year course. Correct. 
No, the freshman year. Their yeah. freshman year. They don't even make it to their sophomore okay. year. Well, that would mean that basically 10% only finish four years or something like that. Correct. Yeah, so between the first and second year of university, and of course it depends on the demographic, it depends on the type of institution, but that first to second year is, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a lot of students take a big hit with the adjustment to independent living, or if they were underprepared to begin with, it's just a struggle. Yeah. If I had a chance to do it over again, I would have gone community college first um, because that transition from being in, an, in a fully supervised adult environment to no supervision is a, is a potentially treacherous jump you know, if you don't have some levels of self-control. Um, so I, I would have wished I'd gone to community college, to be honest. I think I'd be much well, in we California, especially that. then, had a very strong community college system. I mean, it was designed for people to matriculate from the community college system to the UC or the state system. And so, so yeah, it would have been a really smart decision. Although, I think it was $2,500 to study at UCLA in 1990. So, the costs weren't anywhere close to what they are now. The gentleman I spoke to said there's no accountability for the institution for retention. And I, so I asked him, I said, well, what do you do when you find out somebody's dropped out? Do, do the colleges reach out to those individuals to find out why? And he said, there's no accountability, so it's per period, not done. Who is this person? Because I, I knew Mark Udoff when he was chancellor of UC, but I, I'm curious as to who gave you this information. James Minor. Okay. Yeah, Mark retired a couple of years ago, but I would I would push back because I know, again, depending on the type of institution, the success coach model has come in, particularly for that reason, because of the attrition rates between the first and second year of university. And I know for a fact, as someone who's been in higher education for a number of years, that usually there are a lot of efforts that go into it. So that's why I'm surprised at your statement. Okay. Going back to yeah. the article, Tyler, I'm curious, um, the, the percentage that you were saying, the 6% drop, is there anything in there about the percentage of signups that are doing courses that are now remote? As in, have they been, because the, the, I think what we found there was everybody's votes were almost, all of us, uh, way, way higher, multitudes higher than, than what the number actually was of 6%. We were all guessing 40, 50. So they must have done something to mitigate the COVID period. And um, I'm curious how many of their courses became fully remote. Um, and, and, you know, is that the way that they mitigated that and kept the number so low? Oh, no, it's not in there. Tyler, can I just throw sure. in an addendum based on a DM that I received? So Dr. Janelle, who's in the audience, she makes a very important point as it relates to African-American males. So African-American males who attend historically black colleges and university have a higher graduation rates than at predominantly white institutions. And so that is something that, that the data supports. And so I just wanted to call that out because I think that was a really important point that she sent to me. Okay, so next up, is this one from Sue Domini that Indians prefer digital payments over cash, but failed transactions worry users. About 60% of consumers used digital payments, including e-wallets and UPI, multiple times per week for festive season purchases, revealed by a recent study. And rowboats, like robot boats, rowboat. <laughs> 
they should call it row, row, row your boat. Uh, Self-driving robot boats called rowboats are already testing on Amsterdam's canals. Visitors to Amsterdam may soon spot a self-driving watercraft the size of a small car cruising silently through the canals. Rowboats. Without the W. Because there's no rows. It's, it's an autonomous robot boat. And the next one is Russia opens a case against Apple in App Store payment dispute. Russia has opened an antitrust case against Apple for failing to allow app developers to tell customers about alternative payment options when using the App Store platform. There it is. Told you. Prediction number, I don't know, I've lost count. But um, did we not say that, uh, you know, when Korea did this, and the U.S. did it, and this, this country did it. Now this country's doing that. Did we not say that Russia would likely be one of the first to do it? Yes, we did. And now they've done it. I mean, blood in the water, and Russia is a shark, so, yeah. The U.S. tech giant could face a fine based on its revenue in Russia. It found guilty of breach. The regulator said it did not indicate the size of any potential fine. The company, so anyway. So for those who don't know, what's going on is, uh, in the U.S., it was determined that Apple has to allow app developers, you know, like your favorite apps, that the people who made those apps should be able to contact you directly and tell you about other ways you can give them money for their apps. Because currently, Apple has a monopoly in their app store of how they take your money. There's only one way to pay for apps, through Apple. And Apple takes 30% of that money. And the app developers don't like that. So in the U.S., it was decided about a month ago that Apple has to allow the app creators to contact the ability to, to offer alternative payment methods. And we said, oh, boy, watch what happens now. India and Russia are likely to copy this very soon. Eventually, everyone will do it. But it'll start with the bigger countries first, like India and Russia. And sure enough, that's what's happened. And here's the headline today, a month later. So the next one is uh, 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 from Sudamini from NBC News. Cyber criminals claim to have hacked the NRA. A notorious Russian cyber criminal group has posted what appears to be the National Rifle Association's files to the dark web. A notorious Russian cyber criminal group has posted what appeared to be National Rifle Association files to the dark web. The group known as Grief posted 13 files to its website Wednesday and claimed to have hacked the NRA. It is threatening to release more of the files if not paid, though it did not publicly state how much. Like many ransomware gangs, Grief often posts a handful a handful of files. Uh, hey, NBC News, you have a missing word in paragraph 3. Grief often posts a handful of files. You you left out the of. You put often posts handful files. Call Edward <laughs> Yes. Or Kevin Collier, who's the author of this article. A handful of files stolen from a victim in an effort to spur a ransom payment while paying any ransomware hacker is a risk. Grief is particularly tricky. Cybersecurity experts widely believe Grief is a rebranded effort by a group of Russian cybercriminals who previously used the nickname Evil Corp, which is currently under sanctions by the U.S. Treasury Department. So you can't pay them. Get it? 
You got it? And once they've been sanctioned, they got to change their name so that you can pay them. And that's why they've rebranded themselves from evil to grief. It's the same group, said Alan Liska, a ransomware analyst at the cybersecurity firm Recorded Future. And for those who don't know, Recorded Future pretty much is the elite cybersecurity firm of the moment. The NRA didn't respond when reached for comment. It did, however, post a tweet saying that, quote unquote, does not discuss. Wow, Kevin Collier, what's wrong with you, my friend? Two typos in one article. It did, however, post a tweet saying that does not discuss. No, you need the word it in there. It does not, or we do not. I think you want to put... We're assuming this wasn't written by an AI. Kevin, buddy. There used to be copy editors for this, I guess, and now there aren't I, I guess, I guess, I, I'm, can we blame Facebook for this somehow? Maybe Facebook took all of the money they used to get to hire those people? And now, now Facebook is leading to the demise of journalism. Yes, that, that right. So now, here, here breaking news. NBC News can no longer write uh, proper grammar because Facebook stole all their lunch money. The Facebook's killing journalism, including NBC News, CNN. This just in. Facebook is making the New York Times and the Wall Street Journal lose their fucking minds. That's the headline. And it's making NBC News incapable of writing proper grammar because they can't afford editors. Facebook, you, you're killing journalism. What are you doing? You took all their money. The NRA didn't respond. It says it does not discuss matters relating to physical or electronic security and that the organization takes extraordinary measures to protect information regarding its members, donors, and operations. Grief though a criminal group isn't known for bluffing when it claims an organization as a victim, says Brett Callow, who tracks ransomware groups at the cybersecurity company Emisoft. Yeah, there's no point. <laughs> hey, I robbed your house when, when I didn't rob your house. No, yeah, people don't generally do that. They don't generally bluff and say that they robbed you when they didn't rob you. Yeah, that general, Just generally, just as a general rule, criminals don't generally take credit for things they didn't do. I'm not aware of any incidents in which grief or evil has attempted to take credit for other operations. Oh, dear, sweet Jesus. Do we, does that need to be said? As an as a, as a expert on crime, I'm not aware of people taking credit for killing people they didn't kill either. Most of the files viewed by NBC News relate to NRA grants. Cyber criminals, many of them based in and near Russia, have made ransomware a constant threat in recent years, regularly hacking businesses, schools, police departments, and various other institutions. While the White House has taken several steps to improve U.S. defenses, ransomware is still a lucrative criminal enterprise. Last year, it cost nearly $75 billion in damages. Jen Easterly, the director of the Cyber Security and Infrastructure Security Agency, said earlier this month that Russian ransomware hackers have yet to make any significant material changes to their frequent attacks against American businesses. On Friday, after the FBI reportedly took down one major ransomware group, several, several others vowed retaliation 
to punish the U.S. And now they really hit us hard by going after the NRA. The next one is from... Uh, 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 here we go. There it is. From RCC. Fear of debt keeps Latinos out of college, study finds. A fear of never being able to pay off school loans is keeping many young Latinos in the U.S. from going to college or completing a degree, according to a report. Duh. The next one. Uh, the Justice Department probes Visa, the credit card company's relationship with fintech firms. According to the Wall Street Journal, antitrust investigators are scrutinizing financial incentives Visa gave Square, Stripe, and PayPal. And I've already done my own research here. I got a degree in YouTube University by reading a little bit about this. And this is a whole bunch of bullshit. Uh, Visa is not that stupid. It's already known what they did. They offered incentives to startups who use their services. They did not prevent startups from using competitor services. And that would get them in deep shit, and they know it. So that's why they didn't do it. But you're going to investigate, and you're going to find out what I just told you. The next one is that Microsoft nearly overtakes Apple as the most valuable company. Microsoft stock has rallied 45% this year. Truly amazing, by the way. That is just crazy fantastic for a company of that size. Second largest company on the planet in the history of the planet to grow 45% in a year. That's unbelievable. Well, it's, pen- it's, it's, it's the pandemic effect with remote work and cloud and uh, teams and all that stuff. Teams is the bane and the the glory of our existence these days. <laughs> With pandemic-induced demand for its cloud-based services driving sales. Next up is an interview with Snap CEO Evan Spiegel, who just did an interview with the Indian Times and also spoke about the reasons behind the company's dramatic turnaround since 2017 and... He has a couple of interesting quotes in this article where he says, one large platform is the problem, not all of big tech, says Snap CEO. What what large platform might he be talking about? Messi, can you help us out here? Apparently, the CEO of Snapchat says that really it's one large platform that's the problem, not all of big tech. What one large platform is the CEO of Snapchat referring to? Zonga? Maybe MySpace. Second verse. Evan Spiegel, chief executive of Snap, said in an interview that the company has seen strong growth in India over the past few years and now reaches 100 million people in the country, its second largest market after the U.S. He also spoke about the reasons behind the company's dramatic turnaround since 2017, the ubiquitous stories format that Snapchat pioneered, the ongoing controversy around Facebook, and Apple's recent privacy changes, which caused Snap's shares to plummet 25% last Thursday. It's an interview format, so... uh, I will tweet this out so you can read it. There it goes. And the next one is 
from our friend Poppy via Al Jazeera that Goldman Sachs and Harvard have teamed up with Al Gore's investment firm. The venture will seek to channel capital into companies and projects that can help decarbonize the economy. Next up, from the Washington Post. The headline reads, I found my stolen Honda Civic using a Bluetooth tracker. It's the latest controversial weapon against theft. AirTags and other Bluetooth trackers can find stolen cars, bikes, and bags. But but what happens when you find a person who took them? The third time my 1999 Honda Civic was stolen, I had a plan. That, that, that right there is a great way to start an article, by the way. That's a nice way to... Those things are so easy to get into. Like, that's freshman year at UC Irvine. They just teach you that. (laughs) (laughs) I'd taken the usual preventative measures like locking the doors, using the steering wheel lock, and parking on a well-lit street. But I also had something hidden deep in the car. A tile tracker the size of a coin quietly transmitting its approximate location over Bluetooth. Later that day, I was across town, hiding down the block from my own car as police detained the supervised driver. When the Tile app pinged me with a last known location, I showed up expecting the car to be abandoned. I quickly realized it was still in use, with one person looking through the trunk and another napping in the passenger seat, so I called the police. There was no reason to track the Honda down and put myself in danger. The car was my grandmother's, but it isn't worth much beyond the sentimental value. I mean... Who can't relate to being sentimental over a 1999 Honda Civic? I mean, that's that's that hits you right in the gut, doesn't it? Was it the hatchback or the four door? <laughs> I'm sorry, was it the, the four door or the four door? You know, everybody had that car. Everybody knows four, that four car. door. Like, yeah, that was and it's good. like um, toxic waste green. And so the cars with my grandmother, I didn't need to commute. Insurance covers my any damage. And in the past, the scrappy sedan always managed to turn up again on its own. <laughs> but I was, it's yes, like a boomerang. but I was caught up in the moment and I had a piece of technology that could lead me straight to my property. In April of this year, one month after my car was stolen, Apple released the $29 AirTag, bringing an even more effective Bluetooth tracking technology to a much wider audience. Similar products from Samsung and smaller brands such as Chipolo are testing the limits of how far people will go to get their stolen property and what they consider justice. Here's a quote. The technology has unintended consequences. It basically gives the owner the ability to become a mini surveillance operation, says Andrew Guthrie Ferguson, a law professor. In the past... When people's bikes or cars were stolen, they needed law enforcement to help find them or never see their goods again. Now, with inexpensive trackers, we have the power to find and confront thieves. The gadgets are the latest addition to a booming do-it-yourself security market that can generate as much fear as safety. How does it generate fear? Huh? Washington Post, I think you're trying to generate fear here. What what are you talking about? Wi-Fi connected cameras such as Nest and Ring record 
property crimes as they happen, and home security systems like Simply Safe make it easy to set up motion sensors and alarms. Hyper local apps such as Nextdoor and Neighbors let anyone broadcast the details of criminal incidents, perhaps hoping it will net clues. Some suburban enclaves have gone as far as to install license plate readers to track anyone who comes and goes. But tiny... This is called I Like My Shit. Okay, everybody, this is the concept that everyone needs to understand. I worked hard to get shit. I like my shit. I don't want my shit to end up in it's someone a, else's hands. And if so, I want to know where that is. It's a new category of tech called ILMS. I like my shit. But tiny Bluetooth trackers can offer something bigger, a real chance at getting back what was taken immediately. Here's a quote. Everybody's had something like this stolen from them, and they wish they had gotten it back, had some agency in that scenario, had something they could do, says Dan Guido, a technology CEO in Brooklyn who got his electric scooter back using AirTags. It feels empowering and feels accessible. That's what's attractive about it. Guido had placed an AirTag in the stem of his electric scooter, and another in the wheel well. The scooter, a $950 Segway 9-bot kick scooter max, was his primary mode of transportation. He added the trackers after having another bike stolen once and a scooter stolen twice in the last six months. The New York City police hadn't been much help in those cases, says Guido. They kind of just shrug and say, you should move on. So when the Kickstarter and AirTag, when... So when the kick scooter with air tags was stolen, he followed the signal on his phone, iPhone and narrowed its likely location down to one block. <clears throat> Eventually, he realized it was inside a bike store and convinced two officers to go in with him. It was sitting in the open with cut wires poking out where someone had probably tried to locate the beeping sound coming from the air tag. Apple has been careful to never say air tags can be used to recover stolen property. The marketing for device, the device is light and wholesome, focusing on situations like lost keys between sofa cushions. The official tagline is lose your knack of losing things. And there's no mention of crime, theft or stealing in any of the ads, web pages or support documents. But in reality, the company has built a network that is ideal for that exact use case. Every compatible iPhone, iPad, and Mac is being silently put to work as a location device without their owners knowing when it happens. And an AirTag uses Bluetooth to send out a ping, blah, 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 blah. Apple calls this the Find My Network. Oh, dear Jesus. Now it's... Re you can't even use it to, to, to track someone. I I tried putting it in my son's car just to keep an eye, and it it, it warns you that there's a, there's an AirTag like in your proximity tracking you. So they, Apple has thought of that scenario. Wait, say that again? Your your son's car said I'm there's saying, an air tag in it? No, his phone. Oh, his phone, his phone okay. said. Yeah, so Jason, what happens is, what happens is, what happens is if the, the cloud starts noticing an air tag following somebody, it alerts that person. That's, that's, I'm glad that that exists. I think and, that's and it's cross-platform. It works on Android, too. You just have to have the app. But, you know, we can't give Apple credit for that. You know, we need to back them. So the next one's from the Washington Post. It says that Megan, the Duchess of Sussex, was target of organized hate crime on Twitter. After analyzing 114,000 tweets related to Harry and Megan, an analytics company identified 83 accounts that it said we're behind 
of 